Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to this Sunday edition of Atlas Information Live. We are glad that you can be here and join us today, wherever you are in the world. If it's evening for you, then good evening and uh, welcome. When we were uh, searching for an inspiration for tonight's, uh, for today's uh, program, we, as always, wait for the inspiration to arrive. We don't premeditate or pre-plan or it's always a, uh, not a last minute proposition by any means, but unless it, unless it has to be last minute, unless it's only at the last minute, does the topic appear to us. And today's topic certainly was a, a last minute choice, if that's the right word. It's not even the right word, is it? It's a last minute inspiration. It's a last minute revelation because it literally came to us at two o'clock yesterday afternoon, which is precisely 24 hours prior to the program. And we, we tried to get our announcement or advertisement for the program out within the 24 hour time frame. And then so and then we also try to add what they call a story or whatever right on Facebook and on Instagram that that lasts for exactly 24 hours uh, announcing the uh, the topic for uh, for today's live stream and we've talked about something we've talked about this aspect in the past this aspect of of guidance and of waiting, of being patient. And even though a deadline may be arriving to put our faith and trust in our innermost being, to, to not allow our fear to jump the gun and to make a decision where, frankly, we're not qualified to make. As a mortal servant and a vessel, right? A servant waits patiently for the master to give them instructions. It's not really the place of the servant to second guess or to assume, make assumptions or to decide in place of the master of the house. If the master hasn't made a decision, then the servants should be okay with that. You just wait patiently until the the the, the answer arrives, the, the 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 guidance, the instruction arrives. We've talked about this in the past, but that's not specifically the angle that we wish to talk about uh, today. Although it's related, because we recently made a video entitled Selfish Spirituality. And it was a video based on a quotation by Samael and Mayor. If you haven't seen it, it's on our YouTube channel. We could 
we can play it and perhaps we should play it as a, a kind of like a, a preface for tonight's program however uh we also would like to share with you the link to be able to participate in uh tonight's live in today's live stream we keep saying tonight it's tonight if you're in europe <laughs> it's today if you're in north america <laughs> So there's the link in the chat if you want to pop on uh, to uh, uh, StreamYards. And we may as well uh, dig up... Um, well, there's two things we want to, to uh, show. The first one, of course, is... Um, we want to be able to have this on hand. We may seem a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit flustered, a little bit out of sorts, and that's because we have a bit of a windstorm outside, and we've been we've been um, what's the right word? Fussing with our bird feeder. Uh, because the wind was very strong and we had to take down the bird feeders because the last time we had a windstorm, some of the bird feeders got blown off the balcony and they ended up breaking and whatnot. So we wanted to avoid uh, that event again this time. So we were fussing with the bird feeders right up until two o'clock. And that's because we were running into some issues about it. Feeding the birds is something that um, something that we've been doing for a long time, and uh, we don't. It's something that well, we take fairly seriously, and we don't like to neglect. And it's important not to neglect our feathered friends, as it were. The second thing that we want to show is we want to play that video, and of course. Windows is going to um, not not uh, uh, cooperate in us attempting to do so. Again, if you've seen this video, then uh, we apologize if this is going to be a repetition for you. But it's an important concept. Concept is not the right word. It's an important fact. It's a, it's an important truism that we really should all um, take rather seriously when as we uh, as we approach our um, our spirituality oh and there's Azazel so we'll say hello hello how are you today yeah I'm good how are you a little bit flustered and frazzled with this last minute stuff. Yeah. Truly, truly last minute getting to the live stream today. Um, yeah. We have a bit of a windstorm and elements and again, other things that we were coping with. However, however, having said all that, we should now be able to, uh, yeah, we should now be able to share this and then we will, uh, we will uh, get into it in more detail. Not sure if you guys can hear that, but 
It's not... Yeah, we can hear it. You can hear it? Okay. You can't see it, though. That's the problem. There it is. <laughs> Maybe a little bit loud. All right, so the clear implication here is that service to others is a mandatory aspect of the path. It's something that, that we, we cannot avoid. It's something that we, we must do. But then the question arises, how do we do it? And who do we serve? How do we know what, what is the service that we're here to provide? When do we provide it? And how do we provide that service? And it's an important question to know because it's very easy to say, well, you have to serve others. And if you don't serve others, then you can't, you know, you can't receive any initiations. You can't you can't receive any benefits uh, on the path because nothing is owed to you. Nothing is owed to you because you haven't given anything to anyone. And the universe is all about balance. It's all about give and take. It's all about the mutual exchange and the of energy and the transformation of energy. But again, it the question remains: How do you how do you serve? Now we all know. For example, the word service and service to others, that concept, that is rampant in today's society. It is what philanthropy and volunteerism is based on. In fact, it is the buzzword which is used by military, national military campaigns 
marketing campaigns and, and nationalist sentiment to serve your country, to go and sign up to the military, to go and, and volunteer for some uh, war, some military action or some police action to, to serve. The police force in the United States and Canada, perhaps elsewhere in the world, we're not sure, but certainly in North America, the police force, its motto is to protect and serve. This notion that, that if you are in a firefighter or a policeman or a frontline medical worker, like a nurse or a doctor or, or a, a, a um, uh, emergency uh, uh, unit, response unit, ambulance and so on, that you are serving society. Even politicians claim to be serving their country and serving their society. And very often you will see these career politicians receiving awards, these lifetime achievement awards or honoring their service to their country, service to their nation, service to the people. And even if you go to a cafe or a diner or a restaurant, you no longer have any waiters or waitresses. You have servers. <laughs> yeah. Serve you, right? That you, we are we are served our food. They're, they are servers now. They are they're called servers because servers is gender neutral, right? So, so the word to serve has many connotations and is used in a very broad spectrum of activities. And in no uncertain terms, the, the word service and the, the concept to serve has been appropriated. But what, what, does it, what does it really mean, number one, but more importantly for us is how do we go about doing it in a way that is congruent and in alignment with our path. And the reason we say that is because it's, it's very easy. And it's even though that we made that video with that quote from Samael and Boyor, that quote is sort of taken out of context from Igneous Rose. And we'll be honest with you, we haven't read Igneous Rose. We don't know what the context is in which he, he we, we, we can only assume, not assume, our feeling is, our sense is, our intuition is that that statement was taken from that part of Igneous Rose, which is speaking about initiations and what it takes to receive initiations and that whole process. Our understanding is that's what the Igneous Rose is mostly about. Is making yeah, I haven't read it either. So on the path. Well, igneous rose refers to um, the um, the sacred heart, the burning heart. The the igneous rose is the Christ. Yeah, igneous rose is about the the, the path of the bodhisattva. It is a path. It is about the. Uh, it is like um, in many ways. It's it's not like the three mountains, but it's about the three mountains. Yeah, but it's not like the three mountains because three mountains is 
Master Samael's autobiographical book about his experience of walking the, th the three mountains. But yeah. Igneous Rose is sort of a more general. That's our that's our understanding and our intuition about the book. Hmm. But still, the this notion that service is essential, but it's we have to serve others. But does that mean we should go and we should go and run for office? We should choose to be a nurse or a teacher or a policeman. We should go into the military, right? We should go work in a cafe or a restaurant. Like what qualifies as service to others in the context of the path? It's a question that everyone needs to ask of themselves. Yeah. Am, am I serving others? And am I serving others in the right way? And how how do we determine that yeah so the question basically is that uh, we should serve others in accordance to our innermost so how do we do that by meditating basically that's the first step i would say well that that might be that might be a technique yeah. for, um, but lots of people meditate. Yeah, they do. So does that, is that a guarantee of anything? No, it's not. So, so, so what very specifically and very simply stated, we we're going to, uh, we're going to, uh, remind you, see if this works. Um, We'll, we will remind you of no it doesn't i don't know this 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 program is very strange i can put a full screen image on my other screen and then share the screen and then it'll go away it'll share the desktop and not the screen anyway yeah the 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 title of today's talk is how to serve and who to serve so if you if we're looking for the the, the if if your intuition as azel is the answer to this question comes from the innermost, then what is the simplest way to answer this question? Yeah, that's a hard question, basically. But it's um, related to the core practices that we've gone through the latest times. You know basically what? To, even before yeah. any of that. Yeah. Even before any of that. Just for a moment, forget about all the core practices. Mm -hmm. Forget about all that. Just imagine you were a beginner. Imagine you don't know any of the practices. Yeah. Imagine all you know is that the path requires you to be of service. Well, then, who then do you I serve? would say that that basically following the mantra, it's not about me. Okay, so well, well, then who is it about if it's not about you? Who is it about? Our innermost and the light of light. Okay, so then how do you, then how do you serve and who do you then who do you serve? Our innermost. There, it's that simple. It's that simple. 
it's it might sound like it's a it's a it's a it's an attempt at being clever or an it's attempt at being uh, tricky or or something but the fact of the matter is that the answer to that question of how do we serve and who do we serve um comes down to uh comes down to this whoops yeah okay it comes down to this it comes down to this sentiment this this quote from uh beauty and the beast of all things because the thing about beauty and the beast is a beauty and the beast is a fairy tale and all fairy tales are gnostic in nature all fairy tales mask some sort of profound esoteric truth and it just so happens that the uh uh we we may we may have this wrong but if beauty and the beast may be a grim fairy tale we're not sure we're not sure who wrote it but most of the grim fairy tales are very profoundly esoteric and when disney decided to uh make a animated version of beauty and the beast the uh, lyricists and the musicians who wrote the music were divinely inspired and the animators were inspired to for example come up with the design for lumiere who is a candlestick with three flames a central flame and two two flames on the side and he is the head servant he is the head of the household he's the head he's the head of the uh, the serving staff and he serves the master of the house but the master of the house is a beast he's a beast and lumiere and cogsworth and uh and mrs potts who is a, a, a tea kettle and we all know about the importance of boiling water on the path right boiling water at 100 degrees in order that that which may be dissolved may be dissolved and that which may be crystallized may be crystallized cannot happen if the water doesn't boil at 100 degrees now this is why lumiere says life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving he's not whole without a soul to wait upon and in ancient mythology soul psyche is feminine our soul is feminine that is the beauty the igneous rose which by the way there happens to be a rose in beauty and the beast if you remember the the story there's a rose and there's it's a magical rose and the petals are slowly it's slowly withering and the petals are slowly dying and in the in the fairy tale the enchantress says to the prince you will be turn i'm turning you into a beast because you are so selfish and you're so unkind and you have to find love before the last petal on the rose withers and dies otherwise you're going to be a beast forever 
This beast, we are the beast. We are a beast. And our household, our temple, our, our, our vessel, if it is not serving, we are unnerved. We are suffering. Because service is the only true source of happiness and peace. You have to meditate on this. But it's true. There is no peace in selfish spirituality. There is kind of a, there is a, there is a proud, uh, narcissistic um, uh, self. Uh, there's a particular word we're searching for here. A self-contentedness or a, a self, um, a kind of a self-absorbed, but there's a specific word we're looking for. Self-satisfied. There is a kind of a self-satisfaction which comes from doing all the practices and focusing completely on yourself and doing all the meditations and all the things, doing all the core practices. And, and, and there's a kind of a self-satisfaction which goes along with that. But that feeds mystic pride. And mystic pride, pride, is suffering. Because what you are feeding there is this false notion that you can ascend, but you can't ascend. Your personality can't go anywhere. Your personality is going to is stuck right here. Your personality cannot ascend to the supernal worlds. This becomes very crystal clear to us when we meet our innermost being face to face on the astral plane. And we see that we're not looking in a mirror. Our innermost being doesn't look anything like us. Try to wrap your, your imagination around that. Meeting your true self and your true self doesn't look anything like you. They don't sound anything like you. They're nowhere near, well, in our case, they're nowhere near as tall as us. They're like the, he was like the, the height of a hobbit in comparison. And it is more than likely that we will not like what we see when we ask to see our true self. But regardless, so this idea of serving yourself, right? It's that, that, and getting some sort of self-satisfaction out of the path. There's no peace there because you're ultimately just, you're ultimately just um, uh, tricking yourself, fooling yourself. So, Serving our soul, serving our monad, serving our true self. And if we want to go back to Beauty and the Beast, in that whole scene, Lumiere, this, this line from Beauty and the Beast comes from the song, Be Our Guest. They are singing this to Bell. Belle, whose name means beauty. She is psyche. She is our, our psyche, our soul, which is feminine. The consciousness is feminine. Our monad is feminine. And she has entered into this dark and gloomy castle 
in search of the beast. And, and she encounters this magical, but all of the servants are all mechanical. They've all been transformed by this curse, right? Just like the, the, the prince has. And so they're all mechanical expressions of themselves. And yet they, and they know that there's no peace to be had. And this is their fate to remain this way forever. Unless, unless their, their master can find love with this beauty, with this psyche, be, become whole and, and, uh, and learn to love another and in return be loved. And that breaks the spell and everybody becomes true human beings again. This is profoundly Gnostic. This is profoundly esoteric. This encapsulates everything from, from awakening and self-realization, the realization of the soul, but it also encompasses the perfect matrimony. It also it, it encompasses so many different aspects. And of course, the rose, right? The rose, which is withering there, but the rose becomes alive, becomes rejuvenated. That magic rose, which is the sign of the, the, that the curse is going to be forever or not. That's the igneous rose, the magical rose on the cross. That is the Christ, the innermost intimate Christ, which inside of us is just an essence, is just a seed. We must, we must serve that rose. We must serve our innermost intimate Christ on the cross. And how do we serve the Christ on the cross? It's right there in the Bible. When Jesus falls go on his trip up to Calvary, and uh, there's the, is it, is it Joshua? Joshua. Someone helps him with the cross. Yeah. And, and the realization that in order to accomplish this very, very difficult path that has been assigned to our innermost, he cannot, he cannot make it to Calvary. He cannot accomplish his task of dying and resurrecting unless we help him carry that cross. It's not our cross. It's his cross. It's our soul's burden. And if we are not carrying that burden... We are not helping him carry that burden. If we are not serving that mission, that purpose, then we have this what 97, 98% of the people on this planet live. A life which is unnerving, which is filled with depression and anxiety and 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 suffering and and uh stress. And, and constantly searching for ways to fill the void at their, at the, in the center of their heart. Now, one of the ways that they fill that void should come as no surprise to us. And that is 
as we said before, we said at the outset, there are no shortage of people serving others. There's no shortage of volunteers and not-for-profit agencies, people volunteering their time and 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 real like eager beavers and busybodies that you ask them, do they have time for something? No, no, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And they're always too busy. And they filled their schedule helping others and serving others. And yet, many, not all, many, and in fact, most of those individuals are not serving their innermost. So there is a, this is a real challenge for us and for indeed for everyone because the ego is, this is how clever the ego is. And this is how clever the Black Lodge is. The ego can create for us all manner of ways to serve. When the ego realizes, hmm, okay, I can't distract him with, I can't distract him with, with empty entertainments, with sports, with selfishness, with all of these other things. So... Because this person is determined, they, they feel so strongly in their heart that they need to serve others. So the ego says, okay, well, I'll, get, I'll, I'll, I'll throw them a bone. I will we'll make something up for them to, uh, for, so that they will feel in the moment that they are satisfying that need to be of service. And herein lies the danger, because you might be at, you might be saying to yourself, "Well, this is all very interesting and all very fine from a theoretical perspective, or from a theological perspective, or from an esoteric perspective." But practically speaking, if somebody is going out and 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 uh, and giving soup to um, to homeless people, surely there's a benefit to that. Surely they're being helpful. Surely they're being of service. Surely this is not a, a, a waste. And depending on the service and depending on the circumstances, you would be right. It's not, a, it's not wholly 100% waste. But, but, it is ultimately detrimental to that individual if in the process of performing that service, they are feeding their own sense of self-righteousness, their own sense of pride, instead of feeding their immortal soul. And if the re and if their their service to others, their, their longing to be of service to others and to feel like they are fulfilling their purpose in life, the ego very, very cleverly 
through laziness. Laziness appropriates that longing or filters that longing through laziness. And you might think, well, okay, well, how is that being lazy? Someone who volunteers, you know, 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week of their time and their energy and their, who knows, maybe even their money, their resources, their time, their energy, how can you possibly call that lazy? If that 30 hours a week is spent doing something other than the will of the being, then it's a kind of procrastination. It's a distraction. It's laziness. It's a way for that individual to avoid doing what they're actually should be doing. And, and giving their mind, their ego mind, and their, and their sentimentality, right? The inferior heart center, all the, all the feels, the feel-good, sentimental mm. satisfaction, and all of the ego rationalization and justification. How dare you tell me that I'm not doing what, I'm, what, what God wants me to do? Right? Do you see how subtle? Do you see how yeah. clever this is? Now think just for a moment. You know, Europe maybe is a little different. But think to the southern United States and, and what they call the heartland of the United States and the fundamental Christians and their church groups. And we, when we were growing up, we had a neighbor who was, uh, and we grew up in Toronto, Canada. And uh, we had a, a neighbor who was part of the, uh, the Catholic church, their women's group, their women's club. And her and her husband had an only child who was one year younger than us. And um, and this, this child was wholly neglected. Wholly neglected. He was a problem child. He, he, was, a, uh, uh, he, was, he was always acting out. He was always, he was desperate for attention. He was desperate for attention. Why? Because his mother was always in church group. She was always at the church. She devoted and dedicated her life to the Catholic church and doing their bingos and their bazaars and their bake sales and you name it. She was there. She was there and she wasn't at home. She wasn't looking after she wasn't taken care of. She wasn't showing even a fraction of that care and attention and energy toward her own son. And her own son was begging, was acting out, was, was, was desperate, was so desperate for the attention of his mother that he was, that he was, he was a, uh, um, a hellraiser in school and everywhere. He lit, uh, he lit the schoolyard on fire. 
He was so desperate for attention. We grew up watching this, this fellow, and eventually he ended up in prison and in drugs and in, you know, and then eventually he sorted himself out. But he, he sorted himself out as an adult when he finally, you know, but as a child, he was completely neglected. And we watched it. We saw the, 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 the dangers and we saw the, the lure, the trap of religiosity, of spirituality, of serving the community and serving others and making yourself feel like you're serving God. This woman, by the way, in her younger days, she uh, almost became a nun. She revealed that information to uh, our mother, because of course they were they were our next door neighbor. So, you know, she and and her husband became good friends with uh, my parents, and so they often chit chatted and talked about you know their past, where they came from, et cetera, et cetera, as people normally do. Mm. And she revealed to my parents that, um, you know, she wanted to be a nun. So it's possible that, you know, her life took a different turn. And uh, she was basically, she was living out this, this fantasy or this desire to serve the church as a nun but she couldn't now because she had a she was married and had a child so she had to find another way to 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 fulfill that role but in the process she neglected her only child and what was right and what was wrong and what was you know truly her path or not her path no one can no one can know that but what the lesson that it taught me even growing up was the the dangers the pitfalls of well-intentioned uh service and that and that uh every time we choose to be of service and devote ourselves and dedicate ourselves in an act of kindness or an act of service there's an opportunity cost to that and opportunity cost is a terminology which comes from business. An opportunity cost is calculated on the basis of that which you could have done or that which you should have done instead of what you did. Mm. And it is not enough when, when, like most people, when they look at their service, their volunteerism, they look at what they did and the, and the immediate result, which they can see. And they say, aha, you see, there was, a, there was a fellow, he was hungry, he was homeless. I gave him a sleeping bag and I gave him a bowl of hot soup. And he, was, he smiled and he was warm and he was happy for the, for the five minutes that I knew him. But I did that for him. So that's a good deed. I did a good deed. That that was good. Right? That's that's what they that's how they calculate it. That's all they see. Mm. That's all they they take into calculation. 
None we'll of these be right people, back. Sure. None of these people have have uh, have often have really even considered the concept of opportunity cost. And that's why we mention our neighbor, because all she could see was, and all she could feel, and all she considered was her point of view and the feelings that she got, the sentimental feelings she got of being part of the community, of being part of the church. And all she could see was what people were telling her and, and thanking her, oh, thank you for your time, oh, you're so generous, you're so kind. You're always here. What would we do without you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she, was, she, she would get all this praise and she would get all this. She would feel really good and she would see all of the work that she did and say, I did a good deed. I was here for my community. I was here for my church. I was serving God. She did not see the opportunity costs that were accruing off her balance sheet because she wasn't taking into account her son who was being neglected, who she was neglecting, who had no one else in his life because that church has a huge congregation of people. She was not the only volunteer in that church. She was part of a woman's group. There's many, many, many people to divide all of the work. But her son had no one else. No one else. He only has one mother. And this is opportunity cost. And goodness knows the amount of time that she spent at the principal's office and with uh, uh, child counselors and with all manner of, you know, an exorbitant amount of time and energy and stress and frustration because her only child was a problem child. So, in actual fact, if she would have properly oriented herself in terms of priority and say, my first responsibility is to my nature, my being as a mother. My first responsibility is to learn how to be a good mother and to be a good mother. And if she were to have been a good mother, she would not have had a child who was desperately seeking attention from her. And then, lo and behold, she wouldn't have had to have spent all of that time and energy and effort and frustration and concern and worry and stress in the principal's office and dealing with a problem child. So, in the end, she probably would have had a great deal of time on her hands to be able to go and de dedicate and devote herself to her church community. But because she put the church community first and she neglected her duties as a mother, this is 
this is everything was backwards and everything was upside down and her child suffered tremendously and she suffered tremendously and her husband suffered tremendously as a result and she may not have had to have sacrificed or given up one iota or very 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 little in terms of what she did for her church and her church community all she would have had to do is reprioritize and reorient herself to her innermost to her being which was you are a mother now you have a child that child has no one else but you your church has many other people including you you are not responsible for that church you are responsible for your child you, the church comes second your child comes first but this was partly because of the catholic mentality that god is out there and not in here and the notion that serving god if, to, if we are to serve god we must serve out there but that's not how we serve god we do not serve god out there god is not out there god is in here our soul we serve our soul we serve our being this is how we serve and this is who we serve no one else and nothing else now you might say okay what but that's but that's that's a paradox now you're now you're not making any sense because you began with that uh, quote from master samael which says we have to serve others yes we have to serve others but the servant the servants in beauty and the beast when bell shows up at the house at the at the at the mansion at the at the castle they are all the servants of the prince and the song is called be our guest when the servants of a household serve a guest they are doing so in service of the master of the house they are an extension they are an expression of the hospitality and the generosity and the friendship of the master of the house who has opened his doors to those guests but a servant a servant never forgets this and they extend their loyalty and their dedication and their love and their passion and their commitment to their master to any and all who are guests or beneficiaries or family or friends of the master but they never stop serving the master and this has a metaphysical scientific aspect to it because everyone has a soul everyone has a monad 
everyone has an innermost being. Everyone is bell. Everyone is beauty. Psyche, the divine feminine. Everyone you meet is an expression of a psyche, of the divine feminine in flesh and blood. But what that means is that everyone you meet is an essence, is a seed, is a spark of the Logos, of the perfect multiple unity. And so are you. And what better way to serve another spark, another essence of the Logos than to serve your own innermost intimate Christ? Because your own innermost intimate Christ, the spark of the Logos inside of you, is one and connected with the spark of any and everyone you meet and any and everyone outside of you. How else are you going to know what is best for them? Do they know? Can you trust them to know? When a heroin addict comes up to you and beg on the street and begs you for money, are they a reliable source of information? Do you dig into your wallet and give them that $5 or $10 or $20 or however generous you feel that you're going to be? Are you truly helping them if they take that $20 and go around the corner and get a hit of heroin with it? Maybe the one that kills them? So how do you serve and whom do you serve? How do you know what is best for that individual? You can't possibly know. I can't possibly know. And that individual can't possibly know. Unless, unless someone in the exchange is listening to the still soft voice of their innermost being and is in touch and connected and united with the Logos who can receive information from that individual's Divine Mother and can say, this person is going through a lot of pain and suffering right now, but please don't give him any money. You want to help him? Buy him a sandwich. Show him kindness in such a way that he cannot use it to go and shoot himself up with heroin. But that knowledge is not going to come from that individual and it's not going to come from your mind necessarily. It's going to come from your intuition. It's going to come from your own Divine Mother. Your, your own innermost, who's connected to their innermost. So this brings us to well, well, okay, well, let's finish this, this, this part. By serving our soul, 
This is the only reliable way to serve other souls. And it is souls that we are here to serve. Not vessels, not mortal vehicles, not people's personalities, and certainly not egos. We are not here to serve egos. And what you will find is that if we see those individuals who are fill their life with service and volunteering and everything else, many times what you will discover when you meditate on what they're doing or you look, you contemplate and just look past the surface of what they're doing and you realize this, this person is, sure, he's, He's helping, he's giving some, you know, but he's, he's serving soup to a homeless person, and that's good. Sure, he filled that person's belly with soup. And he showed, you know, some kindness, right? To, to you know, that physical vessel is going to go another four hours or maybe six or eight hours without being hungry. But that's good. But what, what did they do for that individual's soul? And again, what really matters, what is really important to anyone on the path? Is it the surface? Is, is, why do we study esotericism, which means hidden, which means that which is concealed? which means that which is beneath, that which is deeper, that which is more profound, that which is more foundational, the occult, the esoteric, right? Reality, in other words. If we are studying esotericism, and if we are on the path of esotericism, is should our service be, according to this diagram, right, on the surface of number one or number two? And it's all connected. Because many people who are, all their service is on that veneer layer, on that surface layer. They believe that they're doing good. They, and they not only believe that, but they are attached to their beliefs about that. I am a good person. I am, I am a holy person. I'm a spiritual person. I'm a good Catholic, like our neighbor thought of herself. I'm a good Catholic. I devote all my time and energy and, and attention to my uh, women's group, my church group, to my church, to the community, etc., etc., etc. You will find these people everywhere. Everywhere. And even in esoteric circles. Look at the New Age uh, gurus who are helping people manifest their desires and manifest money, and manifest abundance, 
and manifest a better job and manifest a, a, a more beautiful, sexy lover. And so, are they serving these individuals' soul by, by helping them gain abundance and material wealth and fame and fortune and, and accolades and, 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 and travel and all, the, and all the trappings that are on the surface that the, that the vessel, the vehicle enjoys, the personality enjoys? Sure. But are they serving the souls, the monads, the psyches? In other words, are they, are they just operating on an exoteric level? Is their service on an exoteric level or is their service on an esoteric level? We have to ask ourselves the same question. The same question. Now, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna address some um, some chats here because we don't want to neglect uh, uh, those who have made some comments. We have some um, from at the very beginning. Benjamin said, "Be an authentic human being." Of course, that's always good advice. Do the right thing. What would Jesus do? <laughs> um, that's actually, you know what? That's a very common uh, yeah. refrain among the uh, the Christians. Joel says 100%. That is the way. Uh, and this is referring to the, the path of service. The Tao says, if if we take care of others and your needs will be provided for. that. Well, that's that's the Tao and that's also uh, uh, karma. But it's also what Samael was expressing in his quote. What, what goes around comes around, right? You get what you give. This is a very, this, these are very common and, uh, and commonsensical expressions related to that. But Layla has something more uh, um, lengthy here to offer. So let's see what she has to say here. The first thing I said to my guru 30 years ago when I had my daughter was, now I'm taking care of my family and believe they are devotees. So through them, I'm serving the Lord. So I completely believe that by doing that, I was serving God. He gave me so much love on my decision and said, you are very intelligent, and I was just a neophyte. That came from my father that used to say that a woman's place when they have kids is at home. I always love that. Okay, so here we have another individual's testimony. The opposite of my neighbor in Toronto, right? We gave our story about our neighbor who devoted herself to God and the church. And here we have someone who testifies that she served God by the God within, by serving her family, by fulfilling her duty, her duty to her higher self who had chosen to be a mother and to chosen to be chosen to and that the love that she received from that and that she, it was it was basically expressed to her and told to her that she had a very powerful intuition intelligence we would have said yeah intelligence she was smart to think that but more importantly she was intuitive she was connected to her higher self to know that and to make that decision and to say that whatever spiritual, whatever thing that I am, I'm going to make my family my, my spiritual practice. I'm going to make my mothering my spiritual practice. 
Let my family be my congregation. Let my, me be the priestess of my temple, of my household. Let my husband be the priest of the temple, of the household. Let us teach our congregation how to live in the light and the grace of God. And let us be for them that light and that wisdom and that intelligence and that grace and that love above all, that severity and mercy as necessary in balance, unconditionally applied with infinite wisdom. That's love. And then anything over and above that is a bonus, is extra. Then we can look out to friends, to community, to congregation, to etc. It's like layers of an onion. But the core, the nucleus, has to be there. Right? That, that, that has to be solid. You can't have layers of an onion if the core is weak and rotting and moldy and mildewy. What, what good is it to have outer layers of an onion that are healthy if then the core is rotten and is withering and dying? So thank you, Layla, for that beautiful sharing because it's, again, it's your personal testimony of that, your gnosis, your self-evident experiential knowledge. And you can attest and give the other side of the coin, the other, you know, of our, of our two examples here of our, of our neighbor in Toronto and now your experience and how they're the polar opposite of one another. And yet, and yet, both of them are expressions, someone expressing their deep, deep, deep longing to serve God. Right? It's a deep longing. But see, this is how, this is why we must pay very close attention and make sure that it is not our mind or our sentimentality which is filtering that deep longing to serve God. Because we can end up like my neighbor in Toronto instead of like, like Layla. And, and, and even though, the, like, we can guarantee you, we, if, you, if Layla went and posted this in some new age group or whatever, right? Some typical spiritual something or other, right? Whatever, you know, guaranteed she would get trolled by countless so-called feminist spiritual women would, would go and attack her for, for, for posting this. Yeah. We can say that's we're we're not, we're not out of line saying that, right? As, as you agree with that. Yeah, I do. Especially because you're in Sweden, which is a very progressive country. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So <laughs> the spirit of Lilith lives on in Sweden, basically. <laughs> uh, the very notion that someone, that, see, Leila says, yes, it happens. That, like, yeah. the, the, um, the, the, the very notion that someone would, would go online and say, I serve God and I serve my higher, my innermost, by, by choosing to dedicate and devote myself to, uh, to being a mother. And you get, you get blasted for that. You get lambasted for that. Yeah. This is how twisted things are. And these, these, these so-called spiritual feminists, they, try, they, they talk about the divine feminine nonstop. 
That's all they talk about. Divine feminine this, divine feminine that, divine feminine, divine feminine, divine feminine. Layla actually was living her life as an expression of what the divine feminine really is. Yeah. The divine mother. See, feminists hate, hate that term. Feminists can't stand the terminology divine mother. No, 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 divine feminine. Because divine feminine means divine feminist. Yeah. <laughs> There's no such thing as a divine feminist, by the way. There's no such thing. There's, there's, uh, the Divine Mother has her different modalities. One of them is Divine Mother Kali, the destroyer of worlds. She does not, she does not need the label feminist, okay? The mm. Divine Mother destroys as much as she creates, right? That's her power. She has, she does not need a, that label slapped and ascribed to that. And she certainly, she certainly would not accept someone taking the label of mother away from her. And that somehow the word, the term mother is an anathema to being feminine or to being, a, uh, or the divine feminine. This is, this is, this is how politicization and dogma and um, and indoctrination poisons spirituality and poisons truth and makes objective truth sub into a subjective truth makes the truth into my truth yeah. which as you know is another uh, expression that individuals love to throw around these days no 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 it's my truth what only matters to me is my truth. And this is coming back to the topic. These are the individuals who, who believe that they're serving others by spreading their subjective beliefs and their subjective dogma and their politicized ideology. They are, in, in no uncertain terms, they are... Uh, um, They're spreading number one on this on this diagram. But for them, that's as deep as their spirituality goes. It's as deep as their spirituality has to go. Right? Having their having uh, better orgasms through Black Tantra. More intense pleasure. And if they can teach other people how to have more intense pleasure with Black Tantra. Or how to uh, manifest their desires through black magic? Well, then they've their service to humanity is complete. Now, contemplate how there is no innermost being who is capable of teaching that, who is capable of supporting that, who is capable of of inspiring someone to do that. And just look at the numbers of uh, people 
who are members of genuine Gnostic groups who are on this live stream, who are interested in white Tantra, who are interested in serving their innermost being versus the numbers of people who follow black magic and black Tantra schools and who subscribe to videos, uh, uh, Tantra videos that are talking about uh, black Tantra and having more intense orgasms. On the one hand, you're talking about, in some cases, handfuls, maybe dozens, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands if you're lucky. On the other hand, you're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions. It is very, very easy. We've often mentioned how clever and how subtle the ego is. It is very, very, very easy to slip under the influence and slip into the, the, the traps and the tricks and the treachery of our egos who will weave elaborate tapestries and hang them over the window of our consciousness. And we become mesmerized and hypnotized by that elaborate tapestry, or the, 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 those shears, those, those curtains that the, our ego has woven for us. And why? Because as, as the light shines through them, the, the light of consciousness shines through them, it, it ignites the images it makes the narrative and the stories come alive that the ego has woven into that, into that fabric. But the reality is that the fabric covers the glass. The tapestry obscures the pure light of consciousness. We can't see reality for what it is because of this, this, this tapestry that the ego has woven for us and the stories that are that are on that that uh, tapestry so if we if we visualize for instance we have all we're going to make this assumption that at some point in our life we have all been inside of a church or a cathedral of some kind and have marveled at the stained glass windows in those churches or cathedrals and on the one hand, it's a beautiful, it's a it's a beautiful art form, and it's a beautiful uh, way of storytelling. And they will have scenes from the Bible, scenes from Jesus's life, the Stations of the Cross, all manner of narratives, and they come alive when the sun shines through them. If we visualize our own consciousness and our own life as the pure light of consciousness, the light of Christ shining into our temple, if our egos are the one who have designed the stained glass windows, 
And they are literal interpretations of the biblical stories, as most churches and most cathedrals are, then we are like the congregation inside of that church being hypnotized and mesmerized by the superficial, literal expression of that biblical story. And that expression, that literal interpretation is given life, given energy, given substance, and given illumination by the pure consciousness behind, shining through it, which is desperately trying to reach us with the truth. The deeper interpretation, the esoteric meaning of those stories, the esoteric significance, and the universal principles, the universal truths that that story is trying to give to us. If we remain hypnotized by the beautiful images in the stained glass, and we forget the pure light of the Christ shining through, then we remain as the majority of people on this planet do. That pure light of Christ, that pure love, that objective truth, which is to serve, serve others, but how to serve, and who to serve, and when to serve, meaning serving the Christ itself, who shines down on everyone and shines through everyone, or at least tries to shine through everyone, and is able to do so according to each and every individual's level of being, and each and every individual's level of awakening. And so long as we serve that light inside of us, that Christic force inside of us, that Christic force serves the Christic force inside of others. That child, that only child of each and every monad. So remember my neighbor, in Toronto, who had an only child? Every monad on the planet has one child. Your innermost being, your father and your mother, your divine father and divine mother has one child. Your innermost intimate Christ has one child. That child is you, your soul, your human soul. That which the um, Luke and and also Master Samael uh, uh, echoes this. Um, have patience, in time you will possess your souls. Uh, uh, Master Samael echoes this verse 
from uh, the Bible, from Luke, Luke uh, 21, 19. Your soul is your monad's only child. So we told you our story about our neighbor in Toronto and her only child. And what happened to her only child when she busied herself serving God out there, serving the church, serving other people, serving, doing all that, busying herself. She was an eager beaver. She was a busybody, right? But she neglected her only child. Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. The reason why these individuals are out there, busybodies, eager beavers, they volunteer for everything. Anytime so there's a call for volunteers, they're the first person to put their hand up. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Of course I'll do it. They can't get enough. They can't get enough. Why? Because they're not serving their soul. They're not serving their soul. But they're desperately trying to serve their soul. They just don't know how to do it. So they figure, I'll serve everything and everybody whenever I can. And you know people like this. Everybody knows someone like this. Everybody has someone in their life like this. And they, they're, they're, a, they're, uh, they're a people pleaser. They go through their life and they cannot feel, they do not feel comfortable. They do not feel complete unless they're serving somebody else. Now, that's not to say, of course, that they're not serving their soul. There are people like this who are serving their soul and this is what their soul wants them to do. And that's not necessarily our place to judge. But you usually can tell when these individuals are kind of frazzled. They're not at peace. They're, they're, they're always stressed out. They're nervous with hassle. Or if they don't have anybody to serve, they can't be relaxed. They don't know how to take a break. They don't know how to look after themselves. Because they're so obsessed with looking after others but then they themselves are uh, neglected. They neglect themselves. And we have personal, very, very, very deep personal experience uh, knowing someone like this. And uh, she's passed away now. And she, she died of kidney cancer. And her service to others was always wrapped up in fear, in worry, in anxiety. She was a, 
she was a chronic worrier. She worried about everybody. She was worried about everybody. So everybody was an opportunity for her to try to control outcomes. And she had to serve others and help others and because, because she was constantly worried. And, and it's just like that quote from Lumiere. Her, her life was unnerving. She was unnerved all the time. And for her, serving others and helping others was like a drug that she was taking to try to, to, try to calm down the worry that she had for everybody. And it was that chronic worry that ended up giving her kidney cancer. Because the kidneys in the energetic, in the vital body, and the mental body and the emotional body, because the kidneys exist in those bodies, just in more subtle levels. But they do the same function in our subtle bodies as they perform in our physical body. And that is to filter fluids. And they filter out from the fluids in our body all of the toxins all of the all of those elements which are toxic to our body our kidneys are what filters those now if you have too many toxins in the kidneys or you're constantly just pumping toxins into the body you're going to end up with kidney failure because just like if you overwhelm uh your um the septic system on your cottage or on your house or you 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 overwhelm any type of filtration system if it cannot be flushed out fast enough it it, it just it starts to build up right you get a build up in the filter and eventually the filtration system uh breaks down it gets overwhelmed and if someone's constantly worrying and constantly stressing and sending that mental energy and that emotional energy through the mental body and the uh, astral body and the actual nervousness, the actual nervous uh, energy of that translated through the vital body, well, then all of those negative energies are going to, the, the kidneys are trying to filter those energies out. But if you're constantly just pumping through those energies, you're going to, those the, they're going to accumulate in those kidneys. And what's going to happen? Those energies are going to crystallize on the physical plane. They're going to express themselves physically. And they express themselves physically as a tumor. And, and that's what cancer is. That's what all cancer is. Cancer is an energetic disease. It's not a physical disease. The, 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 what we experience on the physical plane is like is like the head of a mushroom if you know anything about fungus you know anything about mushrooms the head of a mushroom the, the mushroom cap represents one or two percent of what an actual mushroom is 99 percent of a mushroom you can't see with the naked eye the microphilia of the mushroom the roots of the mushroom that's what 97 percent of fungus is what you see with the naked eye is, is 1%, 2%.
That's what cancer is. That's what tumors are. So when they're taking tumors out and all this kind of stuff, and they say, oh, well, now you're cancer-free. They're not cancer-free. Because cancer is, is an energetic disease. It's in the mind. It's in the heart. It's in the, it's in the, the vital body. And whether or not it expresses itself physically is really just a question of whether it's popping up. But if the person has cancerous thoughts and cancerous uh, feelings and emotions and, and, uh, and uh, expressions, um, sensations uh, in, the, in the vital body, then they are, they are cancerous. So, but this individual was renowned, renowned for her service. This woman who died of kidney cancer because of her obsession, because of her addiction to serve others. Because it was all fed by this worry. She was so worried about everybody. She was possessed by fear, because worry is fear. And serving others was a drug, was a, uh, a way for her to cope and try to, to uh, yeah, try to reduce the symptoms of worry. She felt like, and again, that's like a distraction, like what many other... Um, things that people do to distract themselves from what they're feeling or what they're thinking or what they're going through. Just just another example. There are countless, countless, there are as many reasons for people to serve others in ways that are... let's say, perhaps not the best. But this individual there's another flip side to this story. Because this individual that we're speaking of, the one who was worried about everyone and everything and served everyone and everything, uh, happens to have been our mother. Who, uh, who passed away of kidney cancer. And our experience of taking care of her in the last two months of her life was a profound gift to us. And she carried that burden and she, that was part of her karma. That was part of her, her journey and part of her sacrifice was to go through that and live through that. And in order for us to be able to have our experience of taking care of her 
and her entire life was this lesson and she was our mother but the lessons that she taught us apart from how to cook and how to clean and how to do laundry and all of these practical <laughs> life lessons which our mother taught us how to do we can cook we can clean we can do laundry we can do all of these things because of our mother in the same way that we can we can change the oil in the car and we can fix things around the house because of our father they 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 were very practical they taught us all of that surface stuff but our mother in particular taught us so many soul lessons lessons about unconditional love and even though and she she taught us the she showed us the dangers of worry and she she showed us the dangers of negativity and always assuming the worst and always expecting the worst she was that kind of a worry wart but she showed us the dangers of that she and we she, and and because she was that way we made a commitment to ourselves that we would not be that way that we would find a way to be of service like she showed us to be of service but without all the worry without all the negativity for us we will say well well we're not going to serve people because we're afraid all the time we have to find another reason to serve and that was just the love but without the worry right her her love for others came wrapped in this tapestry right of worry of anxiety of worry of being a worrywart we said you don't need the tapestry you don't need the, the negativity you can just you can be the same person you can do all these things but why worry why have that layer there so we can recognize that some people are the way they are because they have to be for various different reasons they have they're serving some karmic purpose they're living some karmic function and they are like my mother she was living with this 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 karmic burden of this fear and this worry but everything that she did even though it was wrapped up in that it was still from love it was still from unconditional love that she she would have served she would have done all that for all of those people without the worry that's what we recognized that there's no reason to, for the negativity there's no reason for the worry you can still feed everybody that comes to the house you know like a good hungarian right <laughs> <laughs> um which which by the way explains our uh, our uh, our background for well yeah it, it explains uh, yeah you can see the background on our uh, on our picture there right yeah. um okay let's yeah there it is yeah it looks better when uh for for whatever reason when we do this yeah okay you can see the ladle in the the hand in the bowl um we found that background 
uh, because that's a that's a tribute to our mother, our uh, our mother who um, who who loved well being Hungarian, right? And and she just loved to feed people. Everybody came to the house. Is like two minutes two minutes after arrival. No, you were start you were being fed. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's a bit of a charm to that. And uh, of course, the one thing that my mother was known for was her soup. She could make soup out of anything. And, um, and, uh, but also we have that, that story that we were saying about feeding soup to the poor and the soup kitchens and the soup lines mm -hmm. and, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, so as we said before, no one is really in a position to judge anybody else and when they're serving others and why they're doing it and for what purpose, because they might have a deeper uh, or a more complex or complicated relationship with their monad and their karma. And they may be carrying some karmic burden that we don't know about. And we know for a fact, because of the path that we are on and because of our level of, of just our capacity to know, our capacity to be shown things that um, my parents, their life was completely devoted and everything they did was a total sacrifice for their children, including myself. And my mother was an expression of that. And Again, she, she had to carry that karmic burden for her own sake, but that's why she and I were matched up in, this, in, this, uh, in our soul family uh, to work together in this way, her as, her as my mother and, and me as her son, so that her karmic burden would serve as a lesson. And her active selflessness and kindness towards others would also be a lesson. And the fact that those two things do not need to coincide so that I would develop the deep longing to serve others minus any fear and minus any worry and minus any negativity or expectations of the worst. So the result is well, we are here today and you are here today. And the service that we are providing, we hope, is to relay to you and your soul, your monad, for the benefit of your development, for the ben benefit of your awakening, for the benefit of your service to yourself, your higher self and others, by fulfilling our service to our monad. Atlas and beyond to Alux, the Logos. This is our service. Everything that we do, this live stream, all of our the other videos, all the, the memes that we make, the posts that we write, our blog articles, the book that we're writing on, which is our gonna be, which is our service to humanity, really. If we can if we can uh, if we can uphold our end of the bargain. And, uh, and and make it all and make it all happen. But this is our service. And we 
have to do this service without any fear and without any anxiety. And we're not worried about anybody on this live stream. We don't, right? We've learned that lesson from our mother, not to be that way and not to be desperate about what we're doing. We have to be relaxed. We have to be at peace. And we are at peace. And that's why we can, we can do things like share that, you know, that uh, in, in, this, in this, uh, this little quote of ours. Because we know we are serving our soul. We know we are doing the Atlas Project. And as slow and as methodical and as much as a, of a turtle pace that it goes at, we are at peace knowing that we are here serving the Logos and serving all of you, but your innermost intimate Christ, the Logos inside of you. And we know we are doing that because we are allowing, we are surrendering, we are serving the Logos inside of us. It's, but that's the only reason, that's the only way we know and we could have that confidence and be relaxed and be at peace that we know we're doing the right thing. We're doing right by all of you. We're doing right by you because we're doing right by the Logos, because we're allowing the Logos to do right through us. And we trust and we have faith. And for better or for worse, Right? This is how we serve, and this is who we serve. And the fact that you are here is evidence of that. And if you, the, the, how we live our life in, you know, under, under the poverty line, right, should be evidence to that. We don't care. We don't run after material things anymore. We don't serve the desires and the whims and the and the of our of our physical uh, vessel or a personality, we, we only, well, mostly, <laughs> mostly concern ourselves with our, with our work and with, with serving others. But, 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 but that work is serving the logos. And, and of course, are we always successful at that? Are we always on the ball with that? No, because we also, part of our journey, part of our journey, like part of our mother's journey, was living with this, with this terrible fear that she lived with all of her life. This, this, this stress, this anxiety, this worrying. And you all know that we've, we've been very open and honest about this. We, all, we live with that entity of fear. We live with that, that, that demon it's, that's the, the cause of our epilepsy, the cause of our depression. And we live with it. We haven't eradicated that from ourselves. And the fact that we live with it, that's our karmic journey, but it's also what enables us and allows us to be able to serve. Because one of the things that we do is, is we're writing a book, the de facto work on the nature of fear. There has never been, a, just try to comprehend there has never been a book in the history of humanity 
which is going to discuss and describe and disclose the nature of fear as the book that we are writing right here and right now in this moment. But there's only one way to be able to write a book like that. Right? You have we we are we are like the Jane Goodall <laughs> of fear. <laughs> we've lived for 40 it'll be we've lived for 48 years possessed by that demon. And we're surrounded in our family by others possessed by it. So not only could we witness it in what it was doing to us, we could witness and see what it was doing to everybody yeah. in our family. And then the next level is fear begets fear and like attracts like. The law of mm. attraction is that every single, every single romantic relationship we have, all of our closest friends, all of the, all of the acquaintances and everybody that anywhere that we've had any kind of meaningful interaction or relationship with, they were all struggling with fear, whether they were aware of it or not. But we were aware of it. We could see it. Because we, for whatever reason, we devoted ourselves and dedicated ourselves to understanding, comprehending, and overcoming this, this demon and in order to do that, we have to comprehend it. You have to comprehend before you can, you be, before you can overcome it. You have to know your enemy. We were like five or six years old when we heard that quote from Sun Tzu. Know your enemy, know yourself even more. And somehow, some way, we knew that Sun Tzu was talking about the same person. Hmm. He was not talking about some enemy out there. The art of war, the art of war is a book of revolutionary psychology. If you read it that way, it's a book of revolutionary psychology. Know your enemy, know yourself even more. And, and so a lot of people that we know, for example, will probably point to the way we were in the past and say, oh, you're not that you're you're you. I remember you. I remember you, and you were like this, and you were like that, and blah 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 blah. And then they will never accept, you know, our work or our path or where we're where mm. we're at because they will they will dismiss it on the standpoint of the stupid things that we did when we were 20 years old. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you, what what things did you do when you were 20 that weren't stupid? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. There are a few quick little uh, uh, comments here. Dylan says, you mentioned that there is a point when one starts to see contradictions. Uh, Madhyamika purpose is to expose the inner incoherence. Uh, I'm, not, well, I'm not familiar with that, the term mad. Madhyamika, but um, that all logical steps of comprehension of the absolute should lead to contradiction because it isn't comprehensible. Uh, enjoyed your take on today's lessons. And he says, coming from the perspective that used to be give, 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 and left empty, appreciate you. 
Aha. Now this is interesting, Dylan. Let's let's okay. First of all, um, okay. There is truth in what you're saying here about that all logical steps of comprehension of the absolute should lead to contradiction because it isn't comprehensible. When you say all logical steps of comprehension, when you what you really mean is all logical steps of understanding or rationalization. The absolute is comprehensible, okay, but not but not logically and not rationally, not through any sort of step-by-step -step process. We agree with that wholeheartedly. Absolutely. And, and, and Dylan's agreeing with us here, okay? So in other words, the absolute is, the word comprehension, okay, means comprehensive. It means holistic. It means as right. one and whole. Yeah, okay, perfect. Okay, wonderful. So you, you so we're, we're going to shut up because we're preaching to the converted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, right. It isn't. Yeah. We're on the same page, Dylan. Okay. Now, however, you said something here. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. Now, here we have Dylan expressing something that we're glad you brought up. And this is why we, we, we really do encourage everyone to be as interactive as we can. Today... Absolutely, Layla's Layla's story, Layla's testimony was an absolute beautiful and wonderful uh, uh, contribution to today's topic, which fleshed out and gave this beautiful, comprehensive uh, completion, which we we could have we could not have anticipated, and we could not have made up, right? So you guys are as much a part of this this sharing yeah. as anything. And now Dylan brings to the table something that. We really should have mentioned, but again, perhaps, perhaps we were not told to mention it for the specific reason that we had to leave space. We had to leave space for Dylan to come in and give share what's on the screen right now, which is a very interesting aspect of this give, 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 serve, 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 serve attitude that that many people live with. And this is this this feeling of being left empty. So. There are two states that the ego desires, right? There's two states, and specifically, uh, we can think of it in terms of lust or gluttony. Mm -hmm. But let's say lust for, for, for obvious reasons. The one state is being full, right? The feeling of fullness, being pumped up, filling your filling your belly, like going to the going to the the the, the marche, right? The 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 all you can eat buffet, and eating and you know going on the cruise and the all you can eat cruise and 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 until you can't move, you know you have to unbutton your belt belt <laughs> and unbutton your uh, your your trousers and. Oh yeah, that was a good meal. You know, like like how most Americans eat. Mm. You know, they go to the all-you-can-eat buffet or to the barbecue or whatever, right? And they have that feeling of fullness, that satisfied, full feeling. But there's another way that the ego loves to feel, and that feeling is empty, spent. The spent feeling, 
And that feeling, particularly, the most vivid expression of that feeling comes after orgasm. When we have expended all of our sexual force, and within minutes, a man usually falls asleep, <laughs> mm. and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a woman is, is, is left there lying, staring at the ceiling, and, and uh, emotionally mm. going through all of the emotions. But, um, but that, that, that feeling of, 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 of being spent, this, what Dylan is sharing here is this give, 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 this serve, 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 serve aspect is part of that. Yeah. There's an aspect to that where somebody can come home at the end of the day and they said, oh, yeah, I totally spent myself today and I gave everything that I had. Right. So I, and, and that it's like, and the same type of self-satisfaction that somebody feels after an orgasm or after a, uh, someone who suffers from bulimia has purged themselves. They stuff themselves and then mm. they, they, they vomit, they purge themselves because they want the satisfaction of being full they want the satisfaction of eating what they want to eat, but then yeah. they want the satisfaction of feeling hungry and the satisfaction of being empty because they want the satisfaction of being thin. They want the satisfaction of, of feeling like they're eating like they're fat, but they want mm. the satisfaction of being as they're thin. They want to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. They want to have their cake and vomit it out too, as it's maybe more aptly put, more literally, yeah. but... Yeah, that's the kind of entity that we live with, uh, basically. Uh, I've had an ex that was bulimic, uh, actually, and uh, I've had to deal with that all my life, basically. So uh, that was a, a kind of a, a later revelation that it's all been with me all my life, basically. And uh, we've uh, also spoken to entities face-to-face uh, -face, actually uh, mm -hmm. while projecting in the astral realm um, specifically the spirit of Lilith uh, which is a kind of a negative female spirit and um, while it's not recommended to <laughs> approach her in any way I wouldn't recommend it at all um, it was actually a, a kind of a learning experience as well, because uh, one thing that she did uh, teach me was to treat every being in the universe with sincere respect, including her, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's how I basically realized how that spirit is working through basically everyone that I meet uh, at all times, um, wherever she is present. Um, but uh, that also uh, was kind of negative for me because uh, that made me realize that I was in a bit of a pickle, if you would say, um, that uh, we basically had a lot to work with. But uh, we also gained a lot of knowledge of, about how lust works basically mm -hmm. about lust yes yes um 
and so uh this this dylan's uh addition here uh contribution to this idea of uh this is something also to be aware that and we for example again there is no better example that we can give or use than our own life our own service you know that just what a few weeks ago we were doing three live streams a week yeah right and as soon as we we took the undertaking we we, we added onto our plate the writing of the book and doing all the social media that we need to do to try to build up followers for in order for the publishers and blah 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 and everything we've already explained all that we we recognized that we were draining ourselves it was too much and so we said okay the best compromise that we can think of is how about we do this sunday afternoon at two o'clock once a week we went from three days a week to once a week for the very reason that that as much as this is part of our work we have to prioritize and we can't allow one aspect of our work to make the other aspects suffer and 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 neglect this book for us has to be like our baby, like our child, like our only child, right? And and our live streams, even though that our live streams has been a major part of our life since August of last year for so what's that six months now? Okay, so but but we have to be flexible. We have to be willing and able to not become attached and not become identified with any particular aspect of our service. When our innermost calls upon us and says, okay. You've had your six months of live streaming as your focus. Now, this needs to be your focus. And at first, we, again, we just took the new thing and just added it on top. We just took the new, the new uh, assignment and we piled it on top of what we were already doing, thinking somehow that we could handle it, somehow that we could do it. But energetically, we were completely drained. It was, it was totally, it was totally unsustainable. And so we were, we were actually experiencing and living what Dylan was talking about here. Just giving too much, spending too much of ourselves. And then we said, you know what? Um, at least one of our live streams every week is redundant. We're repeating ourselves. Anyway, so how can we do it so that the people in Europe and the people in North America can hear the same thing at the same time so we don't have to be redundant? Well, why don't we do it on Sundays at 2 o'clock? And when we, did, when, he, when we achieved that and we realized that we can take two out of those three and combine them into one, then the, third, then the last one, the third one, really is only 33%. It's only one third. We're doing really only one third less work. We're working smarter, not harder. Yeah. And this way, but but now we have the whole week to relax, to be at peace, to do the social media stuff, and to be able to write 
several hours a day uh, on the on the book itself, right? On so like Mondays to Fridays, it's like our book writing, our book writing, and then we have our exercise, we have our household uh, responsibilities, we have our responsibility looking after our uh, our, our elderly father. So we have, you know, so we're no, we're no longer spreading ourselves so thin. And, and, uh, and again, this is, uh, this is something we have to be cognizant of as we're doing our service and say, just because we received, um, we received guidance in the past. Okay. Here, do, do your live streams like this. Okay. And that was, that was fine for a while because that was the only thing that we're doing really. And now it's like, okay, now here's a new task. We have to be able to, to uh, recognize that along with those, with that service, we have to be cognizant of our own limitations and cognizant of, of that if we spread ourselves too thin, that everything will suffer. Everything will suffer. So again, how we serve, right? And, and, and look, for our, in our case, this was a process, a learning process. We tried to do it all at first. We were trying to work on the book and the social media and three live streams a week. And we ran ourselves into the ground. And that's when we said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> time for self-observation, self-awareness, and self-knowledge, self-learning. That's like, we can't keep this up. This is unsustainable. So all of this stuff fits together and, and, and works together. But were our service being driven by fear, being driven by worry, or being driven by ego of any kind, and we would have kept doing it three live streams a week, plus writing the book, plus the social media and having everything suffer because that wasn't the point. The point was, so at the end of the day, we would feel exhausted and spent, right? That's the point. That's what the ego would have wanted. That's how the ego yeah. would have wanted to continue so that we could feel that. So we could, we could, we could and so we could feel that self-satisfaction of having completely martyred ourselves every single day emptied ourselves given and given and given and given and given until we had nothing left to give so so be aware of that be cognizant of that that's that's a that's a real um and dylan uh says it comes back to feeding your soul without getting that precious mana we lose connection we cannot survive without replenishing ourselves absolutely it's uh, uh, it's mana and it's prana, right? It's 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 also our prana, how we use our prana, and remember that ego wants to filter our prana and and waste our. So think of it this way. Think of it this way. <clears throat> when we are serving our being, remember we talked about transmutation. Remember in the core practices we talked about sound and and runes and transformation of impressions and how mantra and prayer and just about and meditation just about any and all practices we do on the path if we are serving our soul the energy is flowing up 
and in. Up and in. It's just like when we're doing pranayama. It flows up and in. And pranayama means the stoppage of the breath. The stopping of the breath. Most people translate it as breath control. Fine. But to control the breath is control. That's the ebb and flow. The rising and the falling of the tide. The, 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 the lapping of the waves up on the shore. The rhythm of life. And to be able to control that. And be in that rhythm of life. But there has to be the in-breath and the out-breath. And to be in control of that. In order for it, the energy to flow up and in. The ego... When we are working from a place of ego, functioning and acting, thinking and speaking and acting from a place of ego, the energy flows down and out. Down and out. Now, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> when you transmute energy, you are using up energy. Right, you are you are creating the solar bodies from the energy, so you are using up energy. But again, it's up and in. You are transmuting energy. It is a metamorphosis of energy. When the energy is flowing down and out, it is wasted energy. And the only thing that you are crystallizing is the kunda buffer organ, as it's as the negatively charged energy, like like you know what an icicle looks like. Or a, a, a stalactite that, that hangs from the top of a cave. As the water drips down, the minerals crystallize and they accumulate. Just like on an icicle, right? When the water is dripping down and it grows this big icicle. That's what's happening to the kunda buffer organ. The tail of Satan. As the energy flows down and out, it's crystallizing the kunda buffer organ, uh, the kunda buffer organ in which all of the roots of all of our egos exist because the energy becomes negatively charged as it flows and is filtered through the egos. So this feeling of giving and giving and giving and giving and giving to feel spent. Yeah. Like after an orgasm, that's because you're giving and giving and giving and giving, but you're not doing the work of your innermost being. So the energy is flowing out of you, down and out, out of you, but it's negatively charged through your ego because the motivation for it is through the ego. So you're not transmuting that energy. You are not building your soul. You are not serving your soul. The energy is not flowing to the soul, to the creation of the solar bodies. It's flowing down and out. It's being wasted. You might be doing whatever you're doing on the surface. It's on the surface. Materially, physically, you're serving soup, right? You're helping people on that surface level, but you're not serving their soul either. This is, the, this is metaphysical science. This is scientific. And this is where we get the expressions up and atom and down and out. Up and atom. People think that means you, you wake up in the morning and you you go get go go grab the world. No, up and Adam hmm. is up and Adam. Up and Adam, the primordial Adam. Adam was made what? In the image and likeness of God. 
there is a there is a uh, lecture on Glorian called "Let Us Make Adam." Let us make Adam. Adam is dead inside of us. Adam is dead at the very. If you want to be really charitable, you can say that Adam is asleep. And again, you have to wake him up. Up and Adam, right? Up and Adam, the primordial man made in the image of likeness of God. That's how the energy has to flow. So that's who we need to serve, our inner Adam, the true human being, our inner Buddha. And in us, it's the Buddhata, right? The essence, the spark. That's the, the, the soul, the divine soul. But in order to do that, we have to create our human soul and, and, and crystallize the monad and awaken the consciousness and all the rest of that needs to take place in the metaphysical physiognomy of a human being, a true human being. But when the energy flows down and out, down and out is not up and atom. So again, this is coming back to who we serve and how we serve. There is a metaphysical, scientific, energetic uh, 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 consequences. We live in a cause and effect universe. Every action that we take has energetic and karmic consequences. But when we think of karma, we don't have to think in terms of judgment and terms of, uh, of punishment and all this nonsense that people attribute to karma. Karma is just cause and effect. If the energy is flowing down and out, then you're crystallizing egos, you're lengthening the Kunda buffer organ, you're creating more karma for yourself, period. Because you're creating more egos. You're gonna have to someday deal with those egos that you're creating. The more you feed those egos energy, the stronger they become, the more they multiply. It's just fact, it's just scientific. So, and you will eventually have to face those egos, comprehend and eliminate those egos, either in this lifetime or the next, depending on how many lifetimes you have left to, to do that work. That's your karma. You're creating that. There's no, there's no, you know, there's nobody watching saying, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have served soup to that guy on the street. There's nobody saying, well, yeah, we have to punish you because you served soup. There's none of that happening. There's none of that happening. Karma is intelligently managed. Don't get, don't get us wrong. It isn't an intelligently managed process. And karma can be forgiven and karma can be negotiated, as we've discussed in past live streams. But when we talk about who we serve and how we serve, the, 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 it's important to get this uh, scientific, metaphysical scientific facts around energy and how energy flows and how we are directing it and using it and and polarizing it in a positive way in a solar way or in a negative way in a lunar way this is important to get across because many people hear this serving your higher self or surrendering to your higher self or whatever and they think oh great so basically your, your version of spirituality is that we're all slaves. And make no mistake, this is exactly how people get seduced by the left-hand path. Because the, the ego refuses to be a slave 
to uh, the being, to the true self, right? And you will see this all the time, how Jehovah Elohim is actually a demon, and he created humanity to enslave them, and, and all of this propaganda, right, of the, left hand, of, the, of the Black Lodge, of the left-hand path, saying that, no, 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 no. And, and again, this is, we were inspired to do tonight's, uh, uh, today's uh, live stream based on our interactions with two different individuals on Facebook this week. And they culminated in uh, final exchanges on, uh, on Saturday morning. And one of them was, well, you know what? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Serena has been waiting patiently for us to read this comment of hers. Hey, that's a topic that has been on my mind lately. Could there be a syncretism we're seeing of Lilith going by the image of divine feminine? For me, it's a matter of awe reading the prophets of the Old Testament and how they were very angry at the female divinity of Babylon, where the Babylonians deceived, thinking they worship the feminine, the spirit in flowers and the sea and nature, and actually there was something they did not see. Azazel, do you want to take a crack at, uh, at, at uh, responding to Serena? Or? Uh, yeah, so what we were talking about um, previously about the divine feminine um, versus the uh, divine mother. Uh, that's uh, really a great uh, synchronicity about that, of course. Uh, Lilith is uh, basically the feminine figure uh, inverted of the div Divine Mother, we could say. Uh, she acts as though she is a queen, and uh, Lilith is actually like a queen in that manner, that she demands respect and... Um, basically that we bow down to her uh, just like our divine mother but Lilith with Lilith it's uh, not unconditional but with our divine mother it is uh, unconditional we either serve uh, serve our divine mother or we don't with Lilith it's uh, basically you serve me or yeah <laughs> she kicks the living shit out of you <laughs> to, to uh, mention it mightily so that's basically what i could say about that and uh yeah also the rest of that uh, text that you wrote um serena we would only add we would only add to what uh azazel we should have taken the so you could see your face better um We'll only add the following. Uh, we've shown this, you know, many times, but um, it's uh, it's one of these things where it's worthwhile uh, showing again. No, not that. No, none of this stuff. Ugh. How about this one? There it is. Okay. So here we see the two natures of nature, right? We have divine nature. And we have mechanical nature. And 
in between divine nature and mechanical nature, where divine and mechanical nature meet, we have the physical world. <clears throat> and mechanical nature functions a certain way. It circulates, right, a certain way, like ashes to ashes, dust to dust. What came from the earth returns to the earth. And um, in divine nature, it's the same thing. What comes from divine from divine nature from above wants to return to above, but it can get trapped down in here. It can get trapped inside of egos. Um, this is one thing to recall. However, specifically related to Babylon and the Divine Mother, there are two expressions in the Bible of the uh, the feminine, right? Yeah. The virgin and the whore. It's the whore of Babylon that the Babylonians worship. It's div it's it's divine feminine, but it's divine feminine as the whore. Now, what is what is unique about the whore is exactly as as Aziel described Lilith. Her her services come at a price. Hello, Serena. You're muted. We can't hear you. Um, but so the services of a whore uh, come at a price, whereas the virgin, right? Her she gives unconditional love, right? The the, the Virgin Mary, mother of of uh, of Christ. First of all, she gives birth through immaculate conception, unlike a whore. And the second thing is she gives unconditionally and not expecting anything in return, which is not, which is the opposite of what a whore is. So there, there are two aspects of, uh, and this is a representation. This is a, a symbol. The virgin and the whore are symbols and allegorical representations of <clears throat> what we were talking about earlier of how the energy can flow inside of us up and atom or down and out right energy itself is neutral until it is polarized and it's polarized by virtue of the activity and the direction in which it it operates so this is um the uh figure of baphomet which has the word solve at coagula and one and he's pointing up with his right hand and he's pointing down with his left hand so that we all have a choice to be or not to be and so the energy which is the foundation of the universe which is the foundation of the world it has to be able to flow in both in either of those directions because if it didn't we would have no free will and there would be no such thing as a test. There would be no such thing as a challenge. There would be no adversary. There would be no enemy to know. And there would be nothing in ourselves to know. Because everybody would be good. There would be only good. Nobody could do anything evil. Nobody could do anything bad. There would be no bad in the world. There would be no suffering. But if there's no suffering, there's no growth. There's no learning. There's no test. There's no challenge. Because it's only through suffering that we can grow. It's only by being tested that we can we can be challenged. It's like in a chess game. 
if you sit down to play chess and both piece, people are playing white, you don't have a, you don't have a chess game. There's no adversary. Yeah. So all of this, you know, all of this, this, this comes down. So this is why the, the people, the people in Babylon, Babylon is an allegory for humanity in an iron age that was seduced by ego. Yeah, and so that, that was energy, also what I suspected a bit, looking at the cult of, uh, let's say, Ishtar in Babylon. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of, for example, I was thinking of it because uh, I live in Berlin and we have the Pergamon here with the gate of Ishtar, which basically unbuilt and rebuilt the gate of Ishtar in the center of Berlin in a museum. And it gives you a lot of the things like things were back in Assyrian sculptures and all these things, like the people mm -hmm. in fish skin. We, we just have it all in here. Mm -hmm. um, and um, if you walk around there, you get this numinous feeling of these people built in good faith somehow. There's beautiful buildings mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. give you a feeling of immersion in the watery ocean feeling of some sort. And I'm like, what was so bad about it if you just walk around the buildings there and the remnants of that culture it's just like those people i feel they have a deep adoration for something maybe they didn't understand but then like you yeah. see the prophets and they're so angry and they're like oh they never worship yahweh and the asherah in the same sentence or this kind of stuff like people and still people would do it in, like jewish people would do it all the time but there wouldn't be you know, a warning from the prophets, people wouldn't do that. So, of course, well, there's a tendency of people to think God had a wife, God had a counterpart. And then people kind of looked at it as being the goddess of Babylon. I mean, but then they had wars and they had all the chaos. And it definitely proved to be, uh, you know, like all gods, it was an angry goddess with a, a great dark side and really dangerous so it's definitely not a divinity that you can see as, or identify with the heavenly mother definitely i would look into more like the orthodox idea of virgin Mary towards that depiction of the feminine but I'm, i was just yeah. thinking that maybe people really exiled the feminine altogether from those times because it went into this weird syncretism with a demon, basically. Do you, do you have that, any, that was my. Azazel, do you want to res respond to that, or before I? Uh, uh, or no. No, ba all I could basically say that it's basically on point. Um, that we have this uh, ruler that uh, demands basically that uh, we serve her at all our cost, all our vitality, and all our energy, and all that which in turn build this large tower enough to build up to the heavens and uh, god cannot allow that so uh, sooner or later yeah. um, um, that tower has to fall down and basically crumble because uh, as we speak uh, the tower of lilith is actually rising in present times as we see it but sooner or later that tower will fall let me yeah. ask you this, Serena. Let me ask you this. Okay, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Um, no, just what I'm saying. I, I would I would see people all the time in that museum meditating. Like, of course, like calling upon those deities. And I feel they're pretty present in there. I mean, I don't know how to take that. Uh, present, present in where? Like, uh, there are people, for example, who would. I mean, of course, if you want to get in touch with that energy, nobody would ask some. I mean, nobody would have something against people going there. And Meditate, or, you know, sitting down mm. and quietly getting in touch with those deities or whatever entity. Yeah, I'm, so I'm not very sure of the purity of the energy of the entities themselves, given that I read the Old Testament and I'm a bit like, yeah, I have an honest contradiction about what are the, those spirits. That was all. So yeah, so go on. Like okay. uh, I think was to say something. So, so you were basically talking about those people basically reaching out for contacting the spirit of Lilith or the other way around that they are contacted by the spirit of Lilith and then seeks out the information to go further down that path. Mm. Yeah, I guess. No, my question here was, could these people be trying to get in touch with actually something honestly creative in them by trying to touch with that deity that embodied creative, among other terrible things. Okay, so th there's there's a lot. Yeah. You, you raised a lot of... Uh, you, you gave us a Pandora's box to open. Okay, I'm so, sorry. Yeah, let's well, not open it. As Azil says, let's not open it. Um, no, 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 no! I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't uh, turn down a challenge like this. You see. Um, okay, for starters, for starters, uh, allow us to to share something with you which you may not be aware of. So Ishtar, okay, is is one thing. In Hungarian, the word for God is Ishten, derives directly from Ishtar. And and Hungarian is one of the, if not the oldest living languages in the world. It's, it's phonetically, it's even older than Sanskrit. And it is it is the most onomatopoeic language in the world. It's also the most difficult to learn. It is a primal, Hungarian is a very, very, very magical, primal, powerful language. All you have to do is read, if you could read Hungarian poetry, you would understand. Um, how it is it is it is uh, it is a phenomenal magical device and it turns out that our word for God derives from the Babylonian Ishtar and um, in and further to that further to that we have a uh, an article on our blog uh, talking about um, the um, the story of uh, you now what is it now it's the myth we're so bad with names. Uh, let's just jump in right here. It's here. Here it is. The Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and here, there's this um, uh, uh, Shagru, that, that famous Harvard uh, philosopher, explaining mm -hmm. what uh, Gil the Epic of Gilgamesh is about. And, <clears throat> but clearly he doesn't know, not only does he not know Hungarian, but he doesn't know the Hungarian runes. These are the Hungarian runes. And 
we're able, because Hungarian is such an ancient language and we have this knowledge that most people do not have, in fact, most Hungarians do not have this knowledge, that we are able to provide insights onto the nature of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which someone like Shagru with his Harvard education would not know about. And so here is our, um, our article on the Epic of Gilgamesh, which of course relates directly it goes. It comes from the Babylonian. From the it's from the Sumerian yeah. tablets, right? Now, and it's also the um, the story. As essentially, what people believe the the story of uh, of Noah is based on. Um, the now, uh, if we have that right. Um, now, the second thing that we wanted to mention here is. Um, oh wait, we were, we were we were scrolling there. You guys couldn't see any of that, could you? No. Oh, because we were anyway. Here, so so okay. So let, let's. Uh, so this is the article on the blog. That's a uh, Shagru and the YouTube video. He's talking about Gilgamesh. The rest of our article is basically taking apart his uh, his uh, talk. And here are the Hungarian runes. So all of this is uh, is actually we show this in our um, in our article talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh. Okay. So as long as everybody's seen that now. Let's uh, let's put let's put everybody back like that. Okay, now the second thing to talk about. So that's Ishtar and Ishten, Hungarian god. Now the second thing is, it's serendipitous that you bring this up. This is another. It's not just a Pandora's box that's irresistible to us. <laughs> it's 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 a serendipitous that you bring this up. In other words, it's not by accident. We are, as we speak, working on a video. And the video is taking two quotations, one from Master Samael Anbayor, and the other is from Manly P. Hall, mm -hmm. who are speaking about the nature of black magic. Listen to this, if you will. The black magicians have their mysticism, and they always firmly believe that they walk on the good path. No black magician believes that he walks on the evil path. Mm. The path of black magic is a broad way filled with vices and pleasures. That's from Samuel Anmayor from the book The Revolution of Beelzebub. Mm. And we won't read you the, the quote from Manly P. Hall. Um, we are going to be working on this video if we can, hopefully... We will complete it this weekend, and then we will post it sometime during the week, and that you and you guys will be able to you'll see it. Um, we'll of course yeah. post it to Facebook and everywhere else, and on YouTube. So if you're not subscribed uh, to to YouTube and click the notification bell, you will see it first because that's where mm -hmm. we'll post it first. But the implication here now the now okay now all of that being said, all of that being said. Immediately on that quotation alone, you should be able to appreciate how anyone who is worshipping Lilith or some uh, analog of Lilith hmm. believes that they're doing good, right? Earlier, yeah. we were talking about the spiritual feminists. The spiritual feminists who talk about the divine feminine all, all the time. And they worship the moon. Remember, we did a live stream on, on spiritual lunacy. And about all these spiritual people who worship the moon. 
And then there's there are women who worship their uh, their menstrual cycle. There are women who drink their menstrual blood, right? And so and they all believe that they're spiritual. All of the the Wiccans and the pagans and all the people who are doing black tantra, they all believe that they're having spiritual sexuality. They all believe that they're doing good. Yeah. All that aside, all that aside, you asked a specific uh, thing related to when you go to uh, ancient Syria and these other places and you look at these beautiful buildings that they built and everything else and you say, how could all of this be evil, right? Yeah. I ask you. I ask you how many Catholic churches and cathedrals have you been to? Quite a bunch of them. How many images of uh, the, the Virgin Mary have you seen in those Catholic, in those cathedrals and churches? Yeah, I mean, I've seen images of Virgin right? Mary. Now, is the Catholic Church, is the Catholic Church right teaching a true spirituality and a true esotericism or is it a just a monomythical uh 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 organization right which is keeping most of the people asleep and yet look at their churches and look at their look at their cathedrals how can you how can you judge it how if you were to come from a thousand or two thousand or five thousand years in the future and uncover and excavate those churches and those cathedrals, and you see the Virgin Mary that obviously they were worshiping. How can you how can you believe anything other than this was a true and pure, immaculate faith? Ah, okay. I see, yeah, what, what you're saying. Yeah, that's true. Now, yeah, I now, mean, you can. I'll, I'll take it one step further. I'll take it one step further. What was the symbol? And I won't use the real world. I have to use an analog. What was the symbol of the Yahtzee party in Germany during the Second World War? Uh, what was their symbol? Well, this was yeah, uh, yeah, that okay. was a huge symbol, right? Okay, now, now, okay, now, if you come from five thousand years, okay, you you uncover and you excavate the bunkers and the buildings of the of the the uh, the national socialist party in germany and you uncover the eagles and the swastikas but you also uncover you also find those same symbols on buddhist temples and shrines in japan what would what would your conclusion be about the national socialists you mean just based on the symbolism of course severely distorted the actual story i mean yeah you can't base your interpretation of a culture solely on their architecture and symbolism in a way because the nature of the black lodge the nature of the ego is that it cannot actually create it is mechanical it is artificial intelligence it cannot create it can only twist and corrupt that which is pure and good and of the light it can only filter, it can only subject, it can only alter and twist and corrupt. Like the stained glass in the cathedral cannot illuminate itself. It cannot illuminate itself. It has to, it has to, it has to get between us and the light to become illuminated and to mesmerize us and hypnotize us. 
That is the nature of the Black Lodge. It, it does not exist. It cannot exist without the light. And, and all of these, and, and so any type of negative or evil or whatever you want, whatever word you want to use to describe to it, um, all of these things, like Lilith, is mm -hmm. simply a degeneration, an inversion of the Divine Mother. As, as Azul explained, it's just an inversion. Yeah. But it's, so but it, this, yeah. you know. So, yeah, so, so it makes sense that the, the buildings are beautiful, basically. They're beautiful buildings. You would see it and say, wow, this is a deity of flowers and animals and yeah. such a nice gate and it's blue. I mean, I, I, I was <laughs> shocked that, like, reading the Old Testament and being like, wow, they were so angry at her. But, like, people with the others, the neighbors, you know, of the Jewish people in the Old Testament would just build this beautiful gate and it doesn't seem like it's built for a demon of sorts. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so that's what I was saying. I, I, I mean, I know it's the most naive question. I was just thinking of this because it's like... It's, it, look, it's not naive. But on the other hand, put yourself in the shoes of somebody in Germany in the 1930s. And there's this little short little man with, some, with bad hair and a strange mustache. But he, but he, <laughs> brought, but he brought Germany out of the depression yeah. and he built Germany up depression, and he yeah. gave it science and economy and art and wonder and, and hope. And, 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 and he did all these, they worshiped him. They worshiped that little man. Now he was a black magician. He was a great esotericist. He was a, he was a, he was a bona fide black magician. He was an incredibly powerful esotericist. He was one of the candidates to be the avatar of Aquarius, by the way. Not many people know this. He was one of the candidates to be the avatar of Aquarius, but the Black Lodge got to him first, and they twisted him to the dark side. Like, like Anakin Skywalker becomes the, the servant of Darth Sidious. In, in every way, shape, and form, it was like that. They seduced him, and he was seduced by the dark side, and he became... He became basically an avatar of the Black Lodge. And look what he did. Look what he was able to do, to do in the 20th century. But they worshipped him like a god. And anybody, anybody, any archaeologist from 5,000 years from now, digging up the remains of, of a 20th century uh, Germany and looking at it from a purely intellectual perspective, they will say, well... There was this fellow, there, there was this chancellor, and people worshipped him like a god. Yeah. They, will, they will do that. They will come to that conclusion. Right? Because, but just look at look at the buildings. They built buildings in his honor. And they had all these, now all these statues have been torn down and stuff. I guess that's why they're tearing down those statues. Yeah. But, so, remember that, um, that um, uh, and this is the other thing, is that, Idolatry is the modus operandi of the Black Lodge. Mm -hmm. Idolatry. You see, in real esotericism, you will note that there are Gnostic centers all over the world, but there are no statues outside of those Gnostic centers. Mm -hmm. they're, no, they're not cathedrals. There's, not, there's no... You go into a Gnostic's house... They have a little altar, and they might have a picture of the Divine Mother, 
they will have a sword or basically a dagger on that altar, maybe a copy of the Peace to Sophia, and that's it. Maybe there's a cross. Maybe there's a few other little, you know, little statue of Buddha or something. But what you won't see is what you'll see if you go into the house of a Buddhist. A Tibetan Buddhist will have an altar that has all these different golden statues of Buddha, and they worship them. And they worship Buddha. The Gnostics don't worship Buddha. Gnostics do not participate in idolatry. But mm -hmm. the ego, it's the first yeah. thing that the ego does. Is it, 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 creates, it creates out of spirituality a cult of personality where God is out there somewhere. Or God was in the past. Or the son of God was in the past. Or, or the only prophet of God is, 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 uh, is named Muhammad. Praise be unto him. And God help anybody if they say anything bad about him because we're going to take go on jihad and murder everybody. Murder the infidels. This is the Black Lodge doing. There is no spirituality in that. But Muhammad was a, a, a bodhisattva. Right, like Jesus, like not not at the same level as Jesus, but like Jesus, like Moses. That's why the the Muslims were, um, believe in in Jesus and Moses and Abraham, and why the Muslims read the New Testament and the Old Testament. Yeah, because because Islam is an Abrahamic tradition. It's an Abrahamic religion. Exactly. It's a Western religion. It's not an Eastern religion. It's just so but but it just so happens that Muslims idolize Muhammad. Whereas Christians idolize hmm. Jesus, <laughs> right? And Jews idolize Abraham and Moses and David to a degree, yeah. right? And Solomon, yeah. right? So True. That's, just, that's such a, yeah, it's a, the whole discussion of uh, unity and plurality of God and the experience uh, of God in plurality or union or unity or in how the i mean yeah yeah i was reading something on this recently from philip k dick about how the true wisdom split in parts that were scattered the rochers and you can like saying how he experienced the god as a brahma and the christian god and you know and as yahweh and as uh, sophia and in all its uh, and was the uh, the god of the basically the demiurge of Plato, and he would just talk about all these experiences and see how like there's one knowledge or one certain oneness that we can't quite uh, reason about, or that it's quite contradictory, like someone was saying before. Well, it they appears contradictory on the surface. It appears contradictory on the surface, and to, to those who are trapped in idolatry, they they end up yeah. getting trapped in the in the uh, contradiction. Yeah, yeah, but, no, I mean contradiction right? of um, of being able to reach it by reasoning and not being able to reach it by reasoning. I mean, right, as a right. process of inference, not as a process of uh, good and evil or like opposing worlds or something mm -hmm. like that. Well, but as a uh, knowing it. But you know, it doesn't. But it doesn't. It's not a huge. It's not a huge. Uh, people make it um, much more difficult. They make it seem much more difficult than it actually is. And it's and they. In other words, the people who are who are uh, trapped in that contradiction and in that inability is that they, they don't want 
they won't they, they, they don't want to resolve that contradiction you see they 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 are attached to what they are attached to and in order for them to resolve the contradiction they would have to loosen their grip on their beliefs but what that really means is their beliefs would have to loosen its grip on them and the beliefs were put there by egos and the ego never loosens its grip mm. on its parasite i don't know if how many if you've ever been um infected by a tick or something or like that but you Thank know God, that, I mean, or if you've had a, I, a or if you've had a dog or a cat that has had ticks um, or fleas you know that the ticks and fleas do not do not let go of their host it just it doesn't it doesn't work that way and so beliefs it's not that people have beliefs beliefs have them once they attach themselves through idolatry they allow themselves and give themselves to a belief or a belief system they become indoctrinated into that belief system and they identify with that belief system you come along and give them a reason to suffer from from a contradiction an intellectual contradiction that they can't resolve their answer is to say there is no contradiction my belief is the true belief mm -hmm. that's their answer because because there's only a contradiction if they're willing to loosen their their uh, their their attachments and their identifications to their existing beliefs but they they're not willing to do that because their entire sense of self is attached and bottled up inside of those beliefs. This is what we, uh, when we wrote our uh, article on cognitive dissonance, mm -hmm. what our article on cognitive dissonance is all about. Because that attachment, and that identification to belief is all fear-based. It's the comfort yep. and the security yep. that, that, that offers them. And as you know, uh, the best defense is a good offense. So when, so when a contradiction arises, that challenges that 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 uh, challenges the existing inherent belief system. Now, what we have to do is we have to lash out, and we have to attack the contradiction, and say there is no contradiction. That's that's made up. That's an illusion. That's a that's a lie. That's just a whatever, right? Because because we need to defend our little safe space, right? We have to defend our sense of self, which is bound up in these uh, contradictions um yeah i mean so, direct experience of devotion is one thing but then the belief built i feel that look if i think of it like jesus was speaking in the new testament to canaanite women to women who came from that pagan part of right of, of neighboring you know territory that was actually worshiping all these gods and goddesses so maybe that's what the message is in the new testament is trying to tell us that i mean legalists would never talk with these women women pharisees would not talk with these women maybe they did have that deception and worship the feminine in that distorted way because they thought that's the only way and then they had a message in the new testament that was addressing them in that state of deception i'm thinking that it's possible to, to read it that way. I don't know. What do you well, think? Well, 
the other thing to remember also is because you were mentioning the uh, you were mentioning the 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 anger or the um, the 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 vehemence the 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 passionate uh, the passionately outspoken uh, against the feminine that's in the uh, that's in aspects of the Old Testament. Uh, remember that many, many, many books of both the Old Testament and the New Testament were redacted by Emperor Constantine, and and mm -hmm. that even the uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was removed from the Bible. Mm -hmm. We um, in Gnosis, in any genuine esoteric tradition, the divine feminine is always worshipped. There is nothing more important than the divine feminine to anyone on the spiritual path because it's the divine feminine force. It's the divine mother that, that, is, uh, that is who we work with. She is the only one who can eliminate our egos and she is the one who is responsible for all the serendipity in our life, meaning everything that we need on the path comes to us from our divine uh, feminine. Yeah. So, but uh, when they talk about, when the feminists talk about, you know, patriarchy and all this other stuff, I mean, they do have a point. They do have a point to a degree that in the past, especially um, as, um, as societies, cultures, civilizations uh, devolve, the, the feminine aspect in this humanity is what's fallen, our feminine Eve. That is what created the Kunda buffer organ. So there is this prejudice against the feminine uh, energetic channel because that is how the egos get to us, right? Through the inversion of our sexual force, which is the, which is the, which is the feminine force, through the inversion of that. That's why it's Eve who tempts Adam in the Garden of Eden because Eve is Ida, right? Now, because of that, there is this... Uh, that's such yeah, I didn't see, yeah. But you see, all of this gets... All of this gets externalized by ego. Ego externalizes this and says, oh, that means women are evil and men are righteous. Men are the holy ones, the spiritual ones, and women are the... Uh, the, the 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 temptresses right they, they're always constantly tempting men to become evil and that's why you end up with things like women in burqas and stuff right so that they well, they won't that way they won't tempt anybody like this is this is all ego and the black lodge's way of twisting externalizing and making turning into physical and making out there, making religion and spirituality and religiosity about stuff that's out there. Whereas no scripture is about anything out there. All scriptures are symbols and allegories about what's about the, the world inside of us, the, the, about the human being as a microcosm. So the macrocosm that's yeah, but it's about... Also, uh, yeah, it's a, as a within, so without. So if it's within, it must somehow to some level respond with something that's outside or that's right connected I'm well it, cor saying. It, cor it corresponds but that's not what's important it corresponds but that's not what's important because none of us can can stop the end of the world from coming all we can do yeah. is work on our own individual revelation 
right? So the book of Revelation is a how-to guide. It's a step-by-step -step guide to awakening and self-realization. But it's also talking about the end of the world, the end of the world in macrocosm. But none of us can mm -hmm. stop the end of the world in macrocosm. So we must look to the aspect of the scripture which is relevant to us, which is actionable. And that is the world in microcosm, the world which is actually and properly under our control, or at least should be yeah. under our control, yeah. but isn't. Sure. Right? Well, but you if you think of it in terms of, yeah, sorry, in terms of multiple realities, like if we could say the world ends, but it doesn't end the same for all of us. No, like no, exactly. If you would think about exactly. uh, the same mod being different for different people, that's how maybe the world ends for some people in a way, for some other people in another way, and that's the apocalypse. Well, for some people, well, exactly. Well, I mean, we we uh, we have an article uh, talking about this, right? And and we uh, we have a we have a a one page uh, visual aid <clears throat> that shows very specifically that when the world ends. <clears throat> Over 80% of humanity might be <clears throat> wiped out, but there will be a large chunk of humanity which survives. And we're not talking about the seeds who will become the seeds of the next humanity and who will enjoy the, the new golden age. No, no. We're talking about a large chunk of humanity which, will, which is going to go back into the wilderness. It's going to go back into the jungle. And they're going to become savages. And they're going to be trapped on the, de the arc of devolution and everybody who's built bunkers and everybody who's building intentional communities and all the people who are worshiping nature and all the people who are covering their body in tattoos and, and, and piercings and going off and, and worshiping nature and getting into paganism and Wiccans and, and shamanism. And they're all drinking ayahuasca and taking psychedelics and they all are basing their spirituality and the new golden age around this so-called spirituality, which is nothing but nature idolatry. And it's all its all exactly the same as all of the aboriginal uh, uh, spirituality from around the world. doesn't matter if you go to Australia or Africa or South America or, or the native North Americans. Uh, it doesn't matter. All of their spirituality is bound up to the same thing. It is trapped by the glass ceiling of the fifth dimension, by their dream quests, their vision quests, their, uh, their, and their psychedelic use. And they all worship their ancestors and they all worship the elementals of nature. But all of that, all of that is within what in Gnosticism, we are, and in, in traditional esotericism is defined as the four bodies of sin. In, in all of the realms in which the ego rules. So in other words, their their uh, their their vision quests and their dream quests and their their uh, their ayahuasca and everything um, is their vision quests and their dream quests and their ayahuasca and everything is taking them to the lunar astral plane, but they don't know that. And and they and so yeah. all thank that, you for mentioning that. All of that is on a an, on an arc of devolution, on a devolving arc, and the the evidence for this, the evidence for this. Is, is that all of the so-called primitive savages around the world are all remnants of once high civilizations. Because the, the mm. first 
and highest civilizations of this humanity were in Africa. Gobekli Tepe and and in South Africa and uh, South Africa and Egypt. And now Africa. Look at Africa today. Look at Sub-Saharan Africa today. Now the only other uh, uh, hominid you will yeah, find. Yeah, Maui. The only other hominid you will find behaving yeah. in sub-Saharan Africa, like the warlords, are the chimpanzees. And if you look at chimpanzees, you look at orangutans, you look at the 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 uh, the giant uh, uh, gorillas, all of those are remnants of former humanities from past from past ages. From from Atlantis, from um, uh, 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 Lemuria. Those are fallen humanities. Those are remnants of humanities. They are devolved oh, human wow. beings. I mean, they are not. Is this written Sorry? somewhere? I didn't know this. I didn't know about this interpretation. I mean, did someone like uh, do like a spiritual visualizing, spiritual time we, travel we to did. see if, if that's? We did. Okay. And in addition to that, you can go and this is also mentioned in um, uh, one of the Gnostic instructors mentioned it in one of the lectures. I can't remember which one, but he also mentioned that. Does Master Samael write about this? But this is why this is why you can have someone like Jane Goodall go and study chimpanzees and talk about, oh, they're so much like us. Mm. Yeah, they're so much like us. Mm -hmm. It's more Master like Samael, so much. Like you know what Master Samael uh, talked about was, um, uh, I'm sure he talked about this. I think the book is. The Gnostic Anthropology. There's a book that he wrote called Gnostic Anthropology. I'm certain, I'm certain he talks about it in that book because he also mentions how ants, believe it or not, ants are the remnants ants. of a former humanity on this planet. From a this, but that's that humanity goes back like so far. It's 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 not even like worth mentioning. Uh, but you look at the mm -hmm. mechanicity of ants, and there used to be there used to be a um, a uh, an insectoid humanity on this planet, and the remnants, the devolved remnants of that humanity, mm -hmm. are the ants we see today. And and uh, Master Samael uh, wrote wow. about this I mean in, in Gnostic anthropology. That's definitely a bold, uh, bold theory, but it's worth seeing, like how he how he explains it, because I well, look, just say we're made by an intelligent creator, all of them. But by the God who creates things perfect. But but the thing is that God's creation is has laws at this level, right? At this level. And those laws are the laws of evolution and devolution. Everything has every every yin has a yang. Everything has its antithesis. There's no such thing as just evolution. That's what that's what uh, um, uh, uh, what's his face Darwin got horribly incorrect. And the intuition that the uh, the the intuition that um, 
Sorry, someone is uh, insisting on spamming me here. Okay, all right. Hopefully that'll shut them up. Um, the intuition that uh, other that apes and humans share a common ancestor, that intuition is correct. Right? We share a common ancestor. But it's a it was a true human being was our common ancestor, not some proto ape like human. That's where the uh, the paleoanthropologists and the evolutionary biologists get it wrong because Darwin only gave them evolution. Darwin didn't give them devolution. He says that beings only evolve. They don't devolve. He had no concept of devolving. And because science, materialist science, has no concept of devolution, just as just like economists live in the delusion of constant growth, economic growth, and permanent economic growth, this is this is ridiculous. Nothing in nature works this way. Show me, show me the living thing that only grows forever and doesn't die. Show me that. Doesn't exist. But yet science, with all of its arrogance and all of its certainty, has come up with these retarded theories. They are oh, retarded. Yeah, I, read a, yeah. I read a good critique about this whole uh, science and materialism and uh, the you know, illuminist uh, change in thinking. This uh, Rupert Sheldrake, uh, Science and Spiritual Practices. And he has a mm -hmm. chapter called hidden goddesses or something of materialism and he talks that natura basically is seen somehow like they deny the existence of any deity or something you know of that um, nature but somehow they like nature and dance and all these things are you know concepts that they kind of use with some sort of you know as some sort of entities of you know spirit spiritual and I mean they okay they worship this chain chance uh, you know being of nature right or even though they deny the fact that they don't have any you know spiritual color or you know pursuit or reference they do have actually they can't operate without spiritual concept at all and natura of all things is the feminine in their in how they can explain in their materialism but they still do some sort mm -hmm. of nature worship yeah but i mean but but what they're worshiping is mechanical nature yeah right it's the same thing it's that's it's the so same thing that, with the that's the problem of it. and and that's the thing it's the, what they're worshiping is lilith yeah Hmm. Nahema, right? Like these are the this is these are the negative inverted, these are the forces that of 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 uh, nature that that can yeah. only take yeah, us that one is... way, and that's down. Yeah, and so, yeah, it's like, basically like, related to. Yeah, so it's basically related to oh. idolatry and all that because uh, after that uh, particular um, experience with Lilith. Uh, I woke up in my bed, and um, since it is a spirit that actually becomes you in a way, 
and the first instinct is actually to worship that figure uh, that figure of lilith and to do all the practices that uh, she wants you to do basically offering up all of your energy and all of your vitality and yeah all of your energy to that deity basically and uh, that's a devolving um yeah a path to take and um, that is uh, something that i wrestle with uh, daily basically because it's always inside of me because once you have that encounter with lilith she's a part of you uh, basically so that's why i don't recommend anyone basically <laughs> confronting her or getting anywhere near her basically um what you're describing yeah, that's <clears throat> a... no go ahead serena no i was thinking that that's a i i first i thought maybe it wouldn't be on topic but i feel that this what we're discussing does or the question of who do we serve basically yes in our devotion because sometimes well, we can get deceived and sometimes i feel that in this example of lilith it's such a big deception because that's also a reason of the fallen feminine and yeah the yeah. shadow the feminine in all of us babe i think because yes. look, like the feminine if we go back to the old testament who is the feminine is creation you know it's right it's just uh, they don't have a feminine deity per se because creation or god's presence in the creation is the feminine and that's like the closest to what we say um is the heavenly mother so yeah that that's really this lilith thing it's really interesting to to ponder about I mean, in so, my personal experience, I would um, actually, you know, I was always kind of a bit uh, scared of the story of uh, Elijah in the Old Testament. Like he seemed to be so like all about power and um, confrontation. But I actually did pray Elijah when I had problems with hmm. women that would seem to have this spirit or not necessarily women, but other people who would. And I feel that works somehow even without understanding it if you would ask me rationally i would be like wow elijah was like very much about um, power and proving something proving that power in the end yeah i i do found that the prayers would be useful somehow against uh, the spirit let's um there are some uh some other um uh, uh comments that uh, i want to get into but before i do that yeah. we have a video on our youtube channel called uh being or ego which do you value and serve so when uh as azil says you know once you encounter lilith you have to live with this entity from then on uh, realize that lilith is already inside everyone yes they just haven't encountered them face to face they're just not cognizant but all of everybody lives with lilith yes lilith already lilith already makes this bargain with everybody and and lilith already demands that everybody values and serve them it's called their egos because and their their and their physicality and their materialism and and 
Look at everybody who's concerned about the way they look. That's Lilith. Right? Yeah. That's, and, and look about everybody who is concerned about how, how uh, pleasurable their orgasm is. That's Lilith. And, and Nahema and all of the other inverted aspects of the sexual force of the divine feminine. But the inverted, mm -hmm. that's already there. And all of the different expressions of that's already inside of all of us. There, there is no ego outside of us, just as there is no God outside of us. It's all inside of us. Yeah. A battle for the war, the war for the souls of humanity is not happening out there. It's happening in here in the microcosm. The only reason why it shows up out there is because that's an expression and that's a projection of what's happening inside of us. So the fact that you've had that experience in face to face and you can put a name and a face to it. Yeah. Maybe it's something you don't recommend, recommend people do. And perhaps for the uninitiated and for those who are not ready for that kind of level of confrontation and not, not ready for that mm -hmm. level of knowledge, we would agree with you. However, the vast majority of people are completely ignorant of it. The vast yeah. majority of people could use a little, a little harsh reality to snap yeah. them out and to make them realize that, that egos are demons. The word ego in Latin means in Latin ego is daemon, daemon, mm. and and in uh, in uh, in Hebrew it's shaitan, and in Arabic it's shaitan means adversary. Shaitan is where we get the word Satan. Yeah. We've written about this. We've already written these chapters in our book about the about what ego is, and so we're slowly trickling this information out on our blog as well um, as we as we complete these chapters. So. Um, the, uh, the, the reality is, is that when you confront demons face to face, it's, it's a very, uh, um, eye opening, you know, even you want to call frightening experience for us, it wasn't frightening because it was the demon of fear itself that, yeah. we, that we were confronting. So it was, so it was, a but the, the, any, in any case, in any case, let's, let's, Let's uh, cool our jets for just a bit. Uh, Serena popped off, so now she's back. Let's say that um, Dylan says, okay, no, we have to come back. Okay. Uh, Erwin said, look at the Vatican itself. It's a scary place. Uh, Dylan says, uh, Buddha explained it as the two truths, absolute truth and relative truth. The absolute is super rational and, connect and cannot be expressed in conceptual terms. Relative truth corresponding with empirical experience. Uh, Erwin said, that, yeah, and we were talking about what got redacted from the Bible. A lot got redacted from the Bible, and Erwin said, including the Book of Thomas. Dylan says, explaining the insight can only be comprehended at the level at which the subject is capable of understanding. Mm -hmm. There will be, for the foreseeable future, there will, for the foreseeable future, always be a disconnect from that knowledge and our interpretation of it. Benjamin said, asks, will the elite survive the catastrophic ending of the world? Will they continue as the ruling class? Uh, some, yes. Will they continue? Uh, no. Um, that this is a, this is a, the, the golden age will be a golden age. And it will be an age of enlightened humanity. Only enlightened human beings will be, quote-unquote, in power. But the ones who will be in power 
We'll be bodhisattva. We'll be self-realized. We'll be, we'll be God-men. We'll be like the original Egyptian pharaoh. Uh, there will be, be Christified masters. So now, will there be a leap to survive the, the catastrophe? Of course, they're shooting rockets from the state. The question is, though, is that how long will that how long will that buy them and how long will it get them and how long will it be before they fall into devolution? Because let the, let's face it, once their money and their power and their influence is gone, the source of their power and influence will be gone. And that's this sleeping humanity. Awakened human beings already don't give a shit about the elite. But they don't affect us. Right? They don't, they can do what they want. They, it doesn't matter. It's just like, they have no their their reign they ruled the black lodge rules humanity during its iron age and the black lodge has to rule humanity during its iron age because the iron age of humanity is its old age that's the law of entropy the the, the humanity has to break down society has to break down it has to collapse everything rises has its golden age and then begins to has its heyday, it's it's prime, and then it starts to devolve, and then eventually gets into old age and dies. So that last part of old age and death, where everything is breaking down, that happens in the human body. That happens to uh, giant sequoias in British Columbia and in California, the giant redwoods that live for a thousand years. But eventually, the forces of entropy have to take hold and have to start breaking down that tree. They have to start killing it. It's just that's the way that's the way nature works at this level. And the Black Lodge works for mechanical nature. All of those global elites work for the Black Lodge. They're all possessed by ego and they're all work for the Black Lodge. They're all working for the forces of mechanical nature that has to tear down and tear apart this humanity. It's just that's just part of the game. It's just part of the process. Okay. Dylan said, had a dream last night. My mother transformed into the sky. The sky then began to speak. Quote, the oceans will burn. Everyone will be gone. And a few people will live in the wilderness. Then instructed to wake up right now and that she was not kidding. And that you awoke in a hysteria. Uh, dreams can be prophetic for sure. And um, the oceans will burn. Everyone will be gone and a few people will live in the wilderness. So um, there's, there's truth in that. The oceans burning part is an interesting uh, take. We'll have to uh, meditate on that. Alexander Kazan says alpha, beta, and lastly, omega. And it says ascend ovulation bleed okay and there's a private chat here thank you so much for this talk yeah the burning oceans is basically quite interesting because if you mix the blue with the red you get the purple right yeah signifying what in your from your view um so purple is basically a superior color, uh, which means that uh, the remnants of uh, this world basically has to ascend. 
um, basically referring to those who are enlightened or has worked on their egos egos enough to basically be sponsored for the golden age and then we have those who lives in the wilderness those who tries to survive to the bitter end but will eventually basically fall into devolution by itself by depleting their resources so that's how i would uh, interpret what he said um for us the uh burning oceans is sexual alchemy yeah it's the fire in the waters and if there's everyone will be gone um that the fire in the water that alchemical sexuality either destroys or creates creates and destroys mm. and that everybody will be gone there will be people in the wilderness but the people in the wilderness will be on the uh the tract of devolution yes it's not a, it's not a question of survival they will survive they will survive it's just that they will survive the same way that all of the aboriginals around the world survived and the same way that all of the giant apes survived exactly do you know how many do you know how many apes did not survive they're in the fossil record they're all of those everything from neanderthal to all of those different all of those different hominids that the uh, archaeologists dig up yeah that say that are that that are our ancestors all of them died off and some of them are results of uh some like from the book of enoch when the angels uh came down and uh and um and the, the the way that it's written in the book of enoch about how divine beings came down and fornicated with animals and created these uh these hybrid uh creatures a lot of those are these uh hominids from our past which survived only for a short a relatively short period of time but then died off because they're abominations yeah. of nature in addition you have to um consider the um no now that thought just flew out of my mind um we've been we've been going for three hours and 20 minutes now so um mm. <laughs> uh if don't be surprised if uh, we're starting to get a little tired um no what we were saying was uh oh yes so uh so the survival of those in the wilderness now one of the important things to remember is that uh mechanical nature requires a humanity but mechanical nature doesn't require that humanity to be intelligent it doesn't require that humanity to be evolving it, it can it gets it's more than happy because mechanical nature requires um the prana that the that's that's transformed by that humanity it, it requires the prana from that humanity humanity is part of this planet's uh digestive system that the planet cannot absorb solar light directly we've talked about this in the past everything is about transformation of energy and so everything is about digestion in the same way that you and i cannot digest we cannot digest um uh fiber right we cannot digest fiber that we eat 
we need the probiotics, the bacteria in our uh, gut in order to digest that fiber for us. Without that, we have a terrible, terrible time if we do not have those probiotics to digest that, uh, that um, fiber. So we have a symbiotic relationship with that bacteria and they break down those that fiber into uh, components that we are then able to digest and absorb. But otherwise we wouldn't be able to do it. In the same way, everything that exists, all the beings on the surface of the planet, uh, plants, sorry, minerals. So we start with, with um, the mineral kingdom and then the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, and finally the human kingdom. So the mineral kingdom absorbs solar energy and, com and, and combines it with the, the, uh, the substances from the earth uh, to create its, to crystallize. So it uses heat, uh, so solar heat, that's, um, and then it crystallizes its, its bodies, right? Those bodies are then broken down by erosion to become the minerals that end up in the soil and end up in the, uh, in the water. The plants absorb those minerals and transform them, combining it with solar light and carbon dioxide to create their bodies, which are the carbon-based bodies that the animals eat. The, the, the animals eat the plants and the fruit of the plants and the seeds and the nuts of the plants. The animals eat them. And so the animals take that refined solar light in the form of now this carbon matter, and they combine that with oxygen and solar light to produce their own, their bodies, which are a more finer, subtler version of, of carbon and solar light. The electromagnetic field, in other words, of a living thing, of a mammal or of an insect even, is very different from the electromagnetic field of a plant. So then you have humans come along and humans eat the animals. And humans have the most refined prana. It's much more refined than animals, our electromagnetic field, because, of course, we have our brain, we have our intelligentsia, we have our... our, our um, our mental and emotional bodies much more developed and we have consciousness. So as we were talking about, as uh, Swami Sivananda uh, described in when we did our live stream on prana and that prana is on all these different levels. Now, <clears throat> so the prana that we create, that we generate is the most refined. It's the most, it's the most, um, yeah, refined is the right word. And then that is then the 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 planet absorbs that, and it requires that refined prana. Now, here's the thing, though: human beings are supposed to be practicing pranayama all the time, and you know this practice of earthing. Have you ever heard of earthing, where the new yeah. people talk about walking around barefoot and sucking energy up out of the planet? Do you know that's a crime? That's a crime towards the planet. What we should be doing, the reason why we have long hair, the reason why our hair points down, and the reason why we should be walking around barefoot, we should be channeling prana, our negative energy, superfluous energy, down into the ground. That energy, that negative mechanical energy, is what the planet wants. That's why egos work for mechanical nature and is constantly getting humanity 
to spill its energy down and out. Why? Because we're not doing it consciously. And Gurdjieff writes about this in his works, where he talks about the, uh, the occasional mass psychoses where people, where, where people create war and they spill yeah, blood. And the because the prana is in the blood and the planet requires that prana. But because people are not transmuting their energy and they're not, they're not transforming impressions and they're not getting rid of their negative energy consciously through the process of transmutation and through channeling negative energy down into the earth, this, by the way, this is the, uh, the being park talk duty that Gurdjieff talks about. This is why the Essenes never cut their hair and never cut their beards. Because long hair and beards directs that negative mechanical energy down towards the earth. That's why it was always that. That's why in spiritual practice, all these wise men uh, and these wizards and stuff, you always see them with long hair and long beards. And that's why that's why Jesus always had long hair and long beards, because because that helps dissipate negative energy and channel it down into the uh, down into the earth. But of course, we don't do that, and so the so the egos. That's partly why, um, <clears throat> and it's also the uh, the the relationship between the Kunda buffer organ as well, and why the Kunda buffer organ uh, points down and and directs that energy down into the earth. Through, that's negatively polarized energy. That negatively polarized energy is the that, but that refined negatively polarized energy, uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions, and, and prana, is what the uh, the the earth requires, and we're, what it requires a humanity for. So, but one last question. I, I also had the question about this one. Isn't it like a double current? I mean, that we both take energy from the ground and give energy into the ground. That no, it's we, an take, we, we, get, we get energy from the sun. Okay. We get energy from the sun. Because there are some meditations, grounding meditations, that are imagined to channels. And one is taking energy, like sucking energy from the ground, and one is getting uh, energy into the ground. Why? No. Why? Why? Because it unites heaven and earth. Or that's how it's explained, no? Mm. No, you are earth. You are earth. You are yeah. earth. I am earth. We are all earth. Mm. This physical mortal vessel, we are all earth. And we are all heaven. Our monad, right? So but, but, but our job, our job is to refine two. There's only two ways that we can do that. There's only two ways that the planet needs us to do that. One way is mm. we need to eat. We need to eat and digest and use that energy and transform that energy in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And the second way is we take solar light in and we, we add that to our, because the, the planet cannot absorb solar light directly. It can't. Mm -hmm. that's, why it, that's why it exists the way it is. That's, that's, what the, that's what the body of a Cosmo creator is. The, the only exception to that rule are the bodies of cosmo creators who are suns and stars but they're cosmo creators at a different level there's levels and levels and levels and levels right yeah so the, like the the because there are there are beings there are humanities on the surface of the sun I try to figure that one out 
but you're ta- you're you're talking about an ecosystem. You're talking about a metaphysical and physical reality, which is so far beyond our comprehension that you just don't even bother, right? You're you're not going to figure it out. How can there be a humanity on the surface of the sun? It's impossible, right? But it's true because every cosmic creator has to be responsible and every cosmic creator has to um, transmute energy and transform impressions, right? In the same way that it's been doing since its inception as a monad and since it was inserted somewhere sometime, you know, how many millions of years ago in the mineral kingdom, it began as an atom, like you and I began as an atom somewhere in the universe and through a long, 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 long upward spiral of birth, death, and sacrifice. Now, actually it would have began as an atom in a previous Mahamambantara, right? In a previous cosmic day. And now it's reborn and now it's a cosmo creator. It has a body of a planet like Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the, um, is the monad who is uh, the cosmo creator of the earth. Right? That's the Archangel Melchizedek. He's the one who gave Abraham. But that's Enoch, right? Melchizedek is Enoch, right? Do we have, we have that right, right? Uh, no. I'm not Arch- sure. No, but Melchizedek was the priest that was uh, that uh, gave uh, Abraham the blessing after he was uh, at um, uh, he recaptured. Not, no, he got Lot back from the local war and was taken prisoner and he receives this uh, priestly blessing from Melchizedek, which is some sort of Eucharist is uh, wine and bread, something like if I remember right. That may be related to actual Melchizedek, but we're not referring to any characters from the Bible. We're referring to the actual monad. What we're trying to decide is no, Melchizedek is is Enoch. The priest of Salem. It is Enoch. No, somebody is Enoch. Enoch is known by another name. Now we have to look it up. So we're so terrible with names. That's why. That's why we can't. We can't teach all the ancient uh, scriptures and stuff, right? Because we 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 have a block in our. Um, it's it's that's where our um, our um, physically in our in, mm-hmm. and metaphysically in our brain. That's where that's where we get affected. Our epilepsy affects our temporal lobe, which mm-hmm. is our memory. Right, so we. But we, I guess also nobody prepare. I mean, nobody holds a lecture on Melchizedek. You know, on it's usually it has so many, you know, specifics that it takes like I guess preparing it and writing it or something. I mean, um, I w- I wouldn't go on the adventure on uh, doing a lecture on something, you know, so uh, so specific uh, from memory so i think you're you're remembering uh, yeah a lot. um uh the uh the gnostic instructors uh they all give their lectures the way we do our live streams without it without any notes okay so um yeah it's interesting melchizedek is such a wide subject there's a whole uh, like Qumran. I think there's a whole uh, codex of, of Melchizedek. So quite a fascinating subject. And uh, yeah, I, I would also say that it it, it has so much uh, substance that it takes, uh, I guess, 
a lot of anyway. We, we we may be we may be mistaken that Melchizedek and Enoch are related. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll we'll find out maybe for the time for next week. Um, there's more comments here. Uh, let's see. Yes, um, Alexander said no. Uh, he said uh, Alexander says we are atomically birthed through the force of omega, the force of the end. Devolution is imminent. He also says that uh, absolutely mechanical is self-fulfilling. And he says females are by definition mechanically releasing omega energy through bloodshed during the menstrual cycle. Uh, please explain your rationale around, uh, around males regarding the energy you were saying directed to earth. Because we both have masculine and feminine inside of us. Mm. All of us have masculine and feminine energy inside of us. And remember that when the earth, when the mechanical nature causes people to go to war, it's men who go to war, right? It's not, it's not specifically that they, that, uh, yes, it's the feminine, it's perhaps the feminine energy that it seeks, but, um, it's, but prana is both masculine and feminine. Prana is not just feminine. That's the, that's the misnomer about the Divine Mother. The Divine Mother is not solely, purely feminine. The sexual force is not purely, solely feminine. It's just, it's, it, it has, it's both masculine and feminine. It's metaphorically and symbolically feminine because it's the Mother. And um, Benjamin says, in the Bible, Melchizedek also trans, uh, transliterated uh, Melchizedek or Malkitzedek was the king of Salem and priest of El Elyon. He is first mentioned in Genesis, where he brings out bread and wine and then blesses Abraham and El Elyon. I think Metatron is, you know, thank you. Thank you, Benjamin. Yes, yes. This is, you see, this is why we get, we got Melchizedek confused with Metatron because they both start with M. <laughs> <laughs> this is how bad our memory is. If it starts with M, they must be the same. Okay, so Melchizedek has no relationship with, e uh, with Enoch. It's Metatron. The archangel Metatron is Enoch. And it's uh, Metatron who gave humanity the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and the, uh, mm -hmm. and the tarot. Um, that was Enoch. That's the, and he wrote the, the book of Enoch, which was redacted from the Bible. It's a, it's an unbelievable read, by the way. Um, it's it one of those yeah. things that it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those truly, uh, um, incredible, um, scriptures of old. So, uh, again, we'll mm -hmm. remind you that because this, uh, live stream was about serving and who do you value and serve? This video asks that question, right? Uh, being mm -hmm. or ego. And how do you serve and who do you serve? This really is at the base and the foundation of uh, the live stream uh, tonight. And hopefully we, uh, we made our case as to why it is the being that we need to serve. Because if we're trying to do serve others... Without serving our being and forgetting our being, neglecting our being, then by definition, our service to others will be in service of the ego. And this is this is very subtle, and this is requires everybody to actually meditate and 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 pay attention to themselves uh, as they go through their life and and check in with themselves. But you don't have to be fanatical about it. 
I mean, if somebody asks you for some change on the street, you don't have to be like, oh, gee, does my being want me to give them money? Like, <laughs> like you know, it, we don't have to be fanatical about it. There's a, remember, what we, even in the description for, for uh, today's live stream, there's this spectrum, right? There's a spectrum between people who are wholly selfish and people who are complete busybodies and eager beavers that are that, that, that so-called devote their life and dedicate their life to to serving others, but then they forget their own duty to their higher self and to their own children as, as the example that we gave, etc. So so in between there, there's a happy medium and a happy middle place. And rest assured that if somebody asks you to help them move, go ahead and help them move, right? Nobody is going to be saying, oh, no, you can't do that because your innermost being didn't tell you to help them move. Like, so we can't be fanatical about it either, right? We have to be relaxed, mm -hmm. right? Be at peace. But also don't identify with it. Don't say, well, I'm such a good person. I help my friend move. <laughs> you know, right? So it's, it's right. We have to bring some common sense to it, right? And, mm -hmm. and um and be relaxed mm -hmm. about it, right? We don't have to be fanatic, fanatics about it. But at the end of the day, you're here to serve. You're here to do something of value for the world. In whatever way your being uh, is here to do that. And we are the mortal vehicle, the vessel, the servant that our being requires in order to do that. There's no getting around that. That's just, again, scientific fact, metaphysical scientific fact, but it's scientific fact. Your innermost being has one child and, and he has one body. He has one personality and that's you. Your innermost being has nobody else that they can rely on except you. So if your innermost being can't rely on you, then... Who can he rely on? And and then and why can't he rely on you? And and then if he can't rely on you, what are you busying yourself with that you have no time for yourself, your higher self, your true self, your father and mother in heaven? These are the questions. These are hard questions. They're tough questions. But this is what this is what being a servant is all about. And if you really want to understand, interestingly enough, the latest iteration of The Batman came out in theaters this week. And, uh, and one of the pinnacle characters in The Batman is Alfred. Now, supposedly, he doesn't, he doesn't spend a lot of time on screen in this version of The Batman, but go and watch one of the other Batman movies. And and you know, go and go and watch uh, one of these movies about uh, other movies about servants. There's one, there's one about the servant who served. I don't know how many uh, presidents in the White House. There's the like, House of Cards, or no, 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 no. That's that's a that's a that's about poli the inner politics of the White House. No, there's um, I can't remember the actor's name. But there, there's a there's a movie. It was it was I think it was produced and possibly directed by Oprah Winfrey. But it's a, it was about a a, a a black man who was a, a servant in the White House. Mm -hmm. 
uh, for like, I don't know, like um, how many presidents he served. Um, We'll, we'll see in a moment here. Um, the Butler. Oh, you should have known that. The movie's the, the movie's title is called The Butler, and it's based on uh, the book by uh, Lee Daniels. And um, and it stars uh, Forrest Whitaker as the Butler. And um, <clears throat> it was released in 2013, and it's about this. Uh, it's loosely based on the real life of Eugene Allen, who worked in the White House for decades. So presumably, presumably, and he was an, an African-American who was a witness of notable political and social events of the 20th century during his 34-year tenure serving as the White House butler. So um, it, it doesn't hurt to... Uh, familiarize ourselves sometimes with with service and servants and what does it mean to serve mm -hmm. and uh, familiarize our, our, our yourself with that and see okay how do I how do I align myself with that in relationship with my own innermost the other uh, analogy that we like to use of course is uh, Tony Stark and Jarvis now, Jarvis is the AI in the Iron Man suit, right? Tony Stark is the inventor of the Iron Man suit. And Tony Stark can't be a superhero without the Iron Man suit. And Tony Stark can't be a superhero. He can't be an Avenger if Jarvis, the Iron Man, the AI... Right, and the personality of the Iron Man suit doesn't serve Tony Stark, right? It's just, it's in in the, in the logic of that world. The one-on-one -on -one analogy is: we are the Iron Man suit. We have a personality. We have an artificial intelligence. It's called intellect, our monkey mind, and. <laughs> We have a physical body. So, but are we a superhero? Are we a, can, can, can the Iron Man suit be a superhero? No, the Iron Man suit without Tony Stark, but the Iron Man suit and the AI become self-aware and only pursues what it wants. We have a name for that. That's called Ultron. That's what mm -hmm. the second Avengers movie about is that the Iron Man suit becomes empowered by the Tesseract and becomes self-aware and immediately becomes this evil artificial mm -hmm. intelligence entity and becomes basically the antithesis of Tony Stark. The antithesis of Iron Man is Ultron, his shadow self, the personification and, and, and projection of uh, Tony Stark's ego because it's Tony Stark's ego that creates Ultron. And that's what the entire second Avengers movie is about. <laughs> So in that analogy, in that, uh, in that modern mythology, right? Because that's what comic books are. Our modern day myths and our modern day superheroes are the same as the ancient archetypal heroes of, of ancient mythology. Superheroes in science fiction and fantasy and all uh, genre fantasy 
and genre um, literature are our modern day mythologies. And Iron Man on Ultron, that's what they're showing. So um, you can watch the Avengers. You can watch Age of Ultron, for heaven's sake, mm -hmm. to comprehend what does it mean to serve Tony Stark. And then what's very fascinating is that at the end of the movie, Tony Stark creates the vision. And the vision represents the opposite of Ultron. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very interesting, there's a, there's a, it's a, that film, although it's not a very good film, but like so many, um, just like old mythologies, not, you know, not a very good stories or not very good, well-written or whatever, but they're archetypal and there's something in them that's very powerful that we can, uh, we can draw from, but who we serve and how we serve comes from these examples and these characters. There's lots of examples um, uh, from uh, we can find in literature. Every there are so many. Like look at uh, Lone Ranger and Tonto. Look at all the uh, the super all the heroes from literature and mythology that had sidekicks. Batman and Robin. Right there's another example, and so. The, and loyalty and devotion and dedication and usually the sidekick um, has a kind of a, a mentor apprentice relationship just like, like Batman and Robin is definitely like a Batman is like a father figure to to um, to uh, um, Robin uh, the Grace uh, Robin Grayson so All of these can help us when we watch these stories or read these stories can help formulate within us an attitude and a, and a positioning a, where we can start to see ourselves in the proper relationship, hierarchical relationship to our true self and our role in our true self's mission and our true self's purpose for being here. This is what true esotericism and true spirituality is. Becoming one with who we truly are. Right? So to evolve and no longer just be an Iron Man suit with an AI, but to become self-realized as Tony Stark's vision. Anyway. Anybody have any, uh, well, there's a couple more uh, qu uh, questions um, or comments. Okay. Alexander says, what I meant is practically, how do males provide action of this energy from your rationale? I provided an example through mechanical expression for females. Well, you can grow your hair long and grow your beard long if you want a purely mechanical way of doing that. But you can simply uh, practice your pranayama and, um, and you can actively, consciously, once you start doing pranayama and you start working with energy, you can actively channel negative energy 
into the ground, like out of your body and into the earth. All you got to do is release it. All you got to do is actively and consciously release that. And just do a few minutes every day. If you're going to be doing pranayama every day anyway, then you're already going to be doing it. This is You don't have to think of it in terms of men and women have to do it differently, right? I mean, because yes, women women do it through their menstrual cycle mechanically, automatically, in a way. Yes, that's true. But um, it's, again, very, it's, if you've ever read anything about earthing and people drawing the energy up out of the earth, just do the same thing. So if you're not drawing it up, you're just pushing it down. And you can just do it through the breath, right? And just dissipate it. And if you do um, uh, Egyptian pranayama, or if you do any type of pranayama practice where you're inhaling the good air and expelling the bad air, and just be conscious about it, that you're releasing negatively charged energy. And, and when you release it, it's going to find its way back down into the earth, especially if you release it that way. You can also visualize your uh, your kunda buffer organ. You can send it down, and you and but as you if you if you send it through your feet, it's going through the kunda buffer organ anyway. So it's not a if you want to, if you want more information about this in detail, we highly recommend that you read Gurdjieff or look up Gurdjieff. Uh, with regards to this, um, you should be able to find some reference to it somewhere on the internet. We're not we're not students of Gurdjieff, so we've just read some of his work, but we're not by any means students of Gurdjieff. So, and frankly, uh, this particular activity, the reality is, is that this humanity already spills so much blood and already spills so much semen so much sexual force through the orgasm that really the earth is not starving for that energy so if you if you actively channel this negative energy down into the earth or not trust me the earth is full the earth is not starving for that negative energy there's seven what are we up to eight billion people on the planet now <laughs> And what, 97, 98, maybe 99% of those 8 billion people are all fornicators? Trust me, the earth is not hungry for that energy. So you don't have to, don't, don't, don't worry about this. Don't, don't, uh, don't allow this to become some kind of an obsession or some kind of worry. Leila Santos, there is an excellent movie called Enoch on YouTube, a must watch. So well done. Okay, so well done or well done. Um, Okay, we'll look into that. I don't know if we've seen that or not. We may have seen it. We just can't remember. Alexander says, thanks for your feedback as well. You're more than welcome, Alexander. Thank you for being here. Erwin says, every day in prayer, I pray for the power and willingness to serve God and my fellow man. And keep doing so, but remember that the answer comes from within. Right. Or at least it might come from without, but the confirmation that the that the answer is coming from without the confirmation that that's a sign from God, that that's a message from God is going to come from within. Because remember, we've often said this, the living, breathing word of God is all around us and God can speak to us through other people. He can speak to us through advertising He can speak to us to books we read, to things we read on the Internet. But the confirmation, the knowledge, the knowing, the intuition that that message that we are being confronted with 
is a message from God, is a message from the Divine Mother, that, that comes from within. So keep focusing your prayers within your own self, within your higher self. Dylan says, finally had time to catch the flick, don't look up. Was like watching someone fall in slow motion. Well, So that's interesting, Dylan. That, that we, we, we could interpret that a number of different ways, but watching someone fall in slow motion is like watching a car crash in slow motion. Um, so we'll take it that way. Um, Azazil or Serena, do you have anything to add or want to say a final word here? Uh, no, not really. I'll have to go uh, anyway soon. So, Serena, anything? Yes, I, I wanted to say thank you for the answers and um, the discussion. It was really helpful. And uh, yeah, thank you. Well, you're more than welcome. We uh, want to thank you again for joining us. And uh, we thank you also for... Yeah. Uh, so Azaziel doesn't feel so lonely now. No, I don't. So thank you both uh, for this uh, live stream, basically. Erwin <laughs> uh, says... Erwin uh, also says thank you. Uh, you're more than welcome, Erwin. Thank you for being here. Benjamin says thank you for the wonderful discussion. The Trinity is looking good. <laughs> 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 hey, I'll take it. Um, I'll, 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 I'll take it. Um, <laughs> Jennifer says, uh, thank, <laughs> thank you so much for the topic of today's live stream. This is exactly what has been on my mind this past week and was actually thinking about requesting you do a live stream about this. I have found so much direction today of what it means to be of service to others. Thank you for letting us know that. Thank you for sharing. Um, as, as you, you know, this is what we mean, right? This is, this is an example right here, right here and right now. Layla's contribution and now Jennifer's contribution. That's it. That's, that's the bookends of today's live stream. Here it is, the, the, the concrete evidence, right? What we look for, self-evident experiential knowledge. That's what we seek. Here it is. We had Layla at the beginning who, who offered us the, her personal testimony of her life to put on balance our testimony of our neighbor. And now we have Jennifer coming in and tying this beautiful bow tie onto everything and saying, this is what it means to serve. This is our service to you. How could we have known that this is exactly what you needed, Jennifer? How could we have known that? Could we have thought about that? Could we have worked that out? Could we have used our rational mind? Could we have looked it up on the internet? Best practices for live streams for esotericism. I Googled it. <laughs> no, no, no. And how it was that, that our inspiration for this came from helping while well, trying to reach two different individuals. One who was on the left-hand path and we had to 
part ways and agree to disagree and say, you know, Godspeed, brother, continue, you know, he's on the left-hand path. But another was on someone who, in his attempt to be of service, we saw too much of ourselves when we were younger. We saw too much of, we saw too much Attila in him. And so in the process of a very lengthy and mercurial and fiery exchange on the internet, he finally arrived at a place, believe it or not, where he apologized. He apologized for his attitude and the way in which he approached what he was doing. And he said, I often, I often step with a heavy foot or with a, I, I'm too heavy handed in my approach. And I said, I know. I said, because I see too much of myself in you the way I used to be. And that's when I shared with him our article to herd or not to herd, which is an article we wrote basically as a, um, as a, uh, as a confession, like most of what we do is based on experiential knowledge. And most of what we offer in terms of uh, a guidance comes from the guidance that we received and that we learned along the way, the hard way. So, because we were also a people pleaser, a pushover, uh, one of these busybody type people trying to help everyone and everything, and we were doing going about it the wrong way. We had to learn the hard way on what was the right way. But now, thanks to feedback like from what we just see from Jennifer, this is like a, here's like an example that now we know we're on the right track. Right now we know that we're do, we're helping in the right way because we're not premeditating any of this. This is not scripted. If it was, we could never have allowed the interactions that were happening tonight to happen. It's spontaneous. We allow we just allow and allow and allow. And and it's that it's that beautiful place to get to as a servant, if you feel the longing to serve and to help, the, 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 the place that you find peace is the place of allowing and surrender, where it just flows through you and then you're just allowing it and it just flows in from every direction. And you don't even know why, you can't even expect it and you can't even anticipate it. And then someone from left field will come and make a contribution. And believe it or not, as impractical as this may seem, this is how we are approaching the Atlas project itself. And all of our projects, Peapod Life and U-Method and everything else that's coming into building the ark, it's the same way. You know that expression, if you build it, they will come? First. You must build on the supernal planes, on the subtle planes, on the mental, on the astral, on the vital. And then, only then, will it become real on the physical plane. But whereas the black magicians would be instructing us to visualize and visualize and visualize and channel all of our energy into that visualization, to manifest it, in other words, do black magic, we are a servant. Of the logos we surrender we allow 
we allow it to materialize and come together and crystallize in accordance with the law, in accordance with the will of the Logos, whom we serve. Not our vision on our timetable. That's a black magician. So how should you serve? Should you serve the way you want to on your timetable? Or do you surrender? Do you allow? And do you serve under the will and the timetable of the Logos? Of your innermost being, your divine mother, and the being of your being. The being of beings. The being of all beings. The being of beings of everyone that you long to be of service to. So thank you so much, Jennifer, for that because you just put a beautiful bow tie on the on the entire on the entire live stream. So thank you so much, and we're we are heartfelt and humbled, and privileged, and honored that we could be of that we could provide the service for you. Benjamin says, "Thank you, sir. God bless you all." Azazil, Serena, any final words? Any last words? Anyone? Because we're past the four. Oh, we have some. Okay. Um, okay, so there's some private chats here. Serena, perhaps uh, another time you and I can address some of these in more. Uh, mm. We can address some of these. Sure. I'm assuming you put them in the private chat because you don't want mm -hmm. us to discuss this uh, openly. So if anyone, if no one has any other uh, comments, then we will say goodbye and uh, and uh, hey, there it is, <laughs> inverential peace. Yeah. Um, good night. Good night. And thank you for this live stream. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Serena, stay on for just a, two seconds, and I'll reply to you in the private okay. chat. Okay. 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 Cool. So we will do.